Recovery. People in recovery, helping people find recovery. The show is previously recorded. Isn't common sense supposed to be common? The struggle is real, my friends. The Kate Daly Show starts now. Y'all, I'm a middle-aged woman. And up until today, I have managed to not ever have to do a rant video on Facebook. But apparently, today is my day. Um, just left the grocery store, and as we all know, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever we're calling it this week, has driven people completely insane. And the woman in line in front of me, just apropos of nothing, just starts shrieking at the poor little guy ringing her up that he has just touched his face and that he therefore must wash his hands. Just shrieking this to the top of her lungs, so I'm assuming she surely to God must be the head of the CDC because she says it was such conviction. And by the way, lady, it's you're not supposed to touch your face. Doesn't really matter as much if he touches his. Um, I digress. The little guy says, I can't wash my hands right now. She says, I'll wait. Great. Well, I'll wait, I guess, lady. He says, I have hand sanitizer. So he takes like a quarter of a little squirt, does his little thing on his hands for about a quarter of a second, which basically would have just served to inside a right and maybe kill off two small, weak germs, to which the head of the CDC in her kitten-covered lab coat nods and fervently agrees that he's, you know, saved the universe with that. He kind of refrains from rolling his eyes, which I think makes him a saint. And then she goes on (laughs) to whip out her credit card and use the debit pad that every finger-licking, booger-picking, double-digit IQ idiot has touched all day long after going to the bathroom and not washing their hands. And then she just walks on out with her groceries. Completely oblivious to the fact that everyone who handled those groceries prior to her getting them has left their little touch and trace of germs all over them. That going down the conveyor belt, they probably picked up chicken juice and everything else. But thank God that kid used that quarter of a squirt of Purell. She has saved the day and kept us all safe from the coronavirus. Y'all... It doesn't matter what we do. There's so many stupid people in this world. We're never going to survive anyway. So touch your face. Just just touch it. Just touch it. It's all that's left. <laughs> oh, I love that woman. <laughs> Welcome to the Kate Daly Show. What a show I have for you today. Um, not only do we have Melissa and Susan. Melissa was such a... It's just an ins- it's a fun, different, different topic. It's not COVID and it's not the election. Woohoo! Um, and I love it. Um, and then Susan will be talking about behind the scenes what's actually going on with the election, where we're really at, like we do every single day, do an update on how uh, things are progressing and the lawsuits that are progressing. And so I welcome you to the show. I also want to tell you that um, Dr. Dumb has weighed in for the state of Utah, and she said it's a Christmas miracle that uh Christmas miracle that the Thanksgiving numbers didn't shoot up and she credits all those mask wearers 
she did not publicly acknowledge that everybody ignored her. So I just wanted you guys to know um, that Dr. Dumb has weighed in, and she is actually super excited uh, that the numbers didn't go up, and it must be just a solid miracle. Um, yeah. Anyway, welcome to the show, and uh, I have with me such a wonderful guest, and I've been wanting her on my show for a while because I'm a fan of hers, but she doesn't realize that, <laughs> but I am truly a fan. And I want to uh, introduce you to Robin Openshaw, the Green Smooth girl how are you so good thanks for having me kate i've been wanting to be on your show for a long time too oh my gosh look at this except, i mean i love it i'm really i'm really sorry how i'm ending up on your show because yeah. the story is just not the story i really am dying to tell but it's oh a story. my gosh uh let me just tell you former psychotherapist uh brigham young a uh, university uh, faculty a single mother of four um the original green smoothie girl uh, she has a podcast where do they find this podcast my my podcast is called Vibe. Vibe. V-I-B-E. Anywhere podcasts are served, including iTunes is where I listen. I love this. You are a vocal voice in Utah. You have a huge following. People adore you. I can see why. And you have been nothing but outspoken about this. And that I can appreciate and love about you because you're just willing to just tell the truth and tell it like it is. You've got to tell us what happened to you on this airplane because I am just I'm just blown away, actually. go Go for it. I gotta hear this. Yeah. I, okay. So I had a hard time even telling this story for quite a few days because I was just still processing what happened. And when I tell you the story, like I'll, you, you'll think that you got to this climax of this story. And I promise, when you think that this whole thing has blown your mind, there's more. Oh my so, gosh. So my husband and I have moved to Florida from Utah. We ran because of Dr. Dumb and <laughs> Herbert Cox. I call it Herb Cox Dunn. Yes. I just refer to it that way. And I've probably been the loudest. It was probably one of the two or three loudest critics of the regime and the biggest freedom fighters. And, uh, you know, I started screaming about this on February 27th. It was February 27th that I started to say very publicly on uh, my public figure platforms, hey, we are being lied to. And that was even before, you know, quote, to, mm-hmm. to flatten the curve. Right. You know, but when it was coming here from China, I was like, you guys, it's published in China. This thing killed 0.04 to 0.12% by China's own report. Why right. are we reacting this way? So I've been out there in a big way. We, we moved here to Florida because we, you know, if, if I, if I could get, if I could hug the edge of this continent, right. I can't like I'm on the edge of it, like right. 50 yards and we drowned in the Atlantic. But so we're here because the <laughs> governor DeSantis is a great American hero and uh, mm-hmm. Herbert and Cox are sold Bought out and sold. to yep. the deep state and, and China. So, so, yep, in China, mm-hmm. and they're always over in China. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. And so we we ran here, and we've been here for like six weeks, and we weren't homesick, and we we're loving the warm weather, and being in DeSantis's state instead of the one that I raised my children in. And I just had this really strong feeling, and I said, John, I, I feel like if we don't go home, there's some of our parents we won't see again. And all, all four of our parents are about 77 years old, three of the four in very poor health. And I said, we, we don't, we didn't really want to go home for Thanksgiving and be in the snow. And, right. but we just, I just felt very strongly we need to do this. Mm-hmm. So we booked tickets quite last minute and we got on the plane in Daytona beach and, you know, we had just moved here, what, six weeks before that. And sure. we hadn't had a problem without, with, with saying we have, we have a medical exemption. And so we had flown here without an incident and we thought we would do the same. So we went through, we, we um, checked in, we went through security, we got on the plane. No one gave us a hard time at all, just friendly, everything's good. And we're like, yay, this must be Florida. And um, 
we're 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 landing. We're come, almost landing in Atlanta for our connection when a, a flight attendant came up to us and said, uh, "Is there a reason, ma'am, you're not wearing a, a mask?" And I said, "Yeah, I have a medical exemption." And um, she said, "Well, you're supposed to register register that before your flight. You have to re- register that when you're getting your ticket." And I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. My assistant didn't know that, and my assistant booked these." Mm-hmm. These uh, tickets, and um, I said, I'll put the mask on if you want, but I have passed out a couple times from wearing a mask. I don't do well with low oxygen. And she just kind of went, her, you know, kind of made a grunt sound and walked away. Didn't, didn't think anything of it. I sure. thought she had accepted what I had to say. So the plane lands, and as we walk off, there are two Delta employees. And the one that I'll refer to, because I don't really know the other woman, her, her name is Guyana or something. Mm-hmm. There's Brandon. So Brandon and Guyana meet us at the as we're getting off the jetway and they um, demand that we put the mask on and we said the same thing to them, but we, but we put our mask on and they continue to follow us and harass us. And hundreds of yards later, I started to get a little bit upset and I got my phone out because the, the guy's mask was below his nose and they were walking right next to each other. And so I took a little video of them breaking their own rules. And that's probably how I got in the situation I was in where they basically, I think it was, some kind of vendetta or some kind of power trip. Probably. (laughs) It's like the flying Gestapo. Go ahead. (laughs) Right, the flying Gestapo. And I I think that a lot has changed in the airline industry. And one of the major points that I'd like to make for your listening audience is um, that I think that the airlines are being consolidated. And I think that they are under direction and management that is not the free market system. And so I want to make sure that when when we cap this off that I make that point and then I want to tell you what happened to us on that second yeah, plane because and, you, you just and I have to add here um, that the airline industry for the first time when they took the money in this go around for Corona government assumed a portion of the ownership of the airlines and so I don't know if people realize that there have been a couple of takeovers like that that sort of went under the news and weren't really highly reported, but they actually have ownership. And so I think that's why they have ratcheted up the Gestapo sort of, you know, situation on airplanes where these people that deliver soda to you are now your policemen because they are now completely um, sold out now and owned completely by the by the government, not completely, but in a huge portion. And I do feel like it'll be a complete takeover within within a, a, a year or two, just because that's the direction that they're going and selling out to. So it's interesting you say that. That helps me connect some dots. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing that I've predicted since March that got me called a conspiracy theorist by mm-hmm. literally thousands of people. Sure. The only thing I had, I had predicted that as far as I knew hadn't taken place mm-hmm. you know because in march i was saying you guys we're going to be locked down right. for the rest of the year and beyond it nobody believed me nobody believed me. right but one of the things i said is that the airline industry would be bankrupt by the end of the summer and mm-hmm. either nationalized or bought up by the chinese or or some combination of that or or that bill gates would have a controlling interest in many airlines or so anyway um i i thought that that hadn't happened but i don't know why i would think that it's not like the mainstream media tells us yeah. Anything they don't want us well, to know. And hospitals leave, are next, leaving. right? Hospitals are next because right. they're right now getting this money. And then I, 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 and I'll tell you something. When they assumed ownership, that's the first time that's happened for the money. So when they were handing out all these bailouts, that that's the first time that the um, airline consented to ownership. That's huge. That's, that is a big deal. And that happened in April. And I, I actually am just shocked. I, I'm shocked. Trucking also, they do now have a stake in trucking. And uh, I think hospitals are next because they actually talked about three uh, industries that were going to be 
uh, pretty much run by the government completely. And airlines is definitely on that. So tracks right, right now. So, wow. Okay. Well, so. that's all, that's all really scary. And it is. so I, I think that we are seeing absolutely communist forces on the airline. And what you just said about the fact that the government owns part of it makes mm-hmm. sense when you, if any of you saw the little video clip that a woman was taking video footage in a stealth way behind her seat of a spirit airline's Flight right. attendant who stood up there and said, my name is Mario, mm-hmm. and if anybody gives us a hard time about the masks at all, we will have you arrested at the gate. We are government officials. This person actually said, wow. yes, government officials. Yeah, oh, my and, and gosh. And you see it, and it went, it, it went really viral, and it, it was the same week that this thing happened to us on Delta Airlines, but this was on Spirit Airlines. And this, and, and you're watching it, and you're like, wait, when, when were flight attendants made government yeah. officials? Um, yeah, that that does but, connect some dots, doesn't it? Wow, 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 wow. Okay. Yeah, and and a, and a pilot comes out behind Mario and is mm-hmm. walking around behind Mario, and and I and I keep saying Mario rather than a pronoun because I actually can't tell if Mario is what 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 pronoun he is. And so there's a pilot hearing this, and I'm like, Mario wouldn't be saying this if he or she didn't like actually wasn't actually given um, instruction that they are now government officials. So anyways, and, and, and he says there's a $250,000 fine. You'll be arrested at the gate. He mentions life in prison. Whoa. And so I was showing Hi, guys. It's Andrew with Delta. Wasatch Medical Clinic. Are you struggling with erectile dysfunction and sick of the pills? Well, we have a major medical breakthrough. The WAVE technology at Wasatch Medical Clinic was tested by Cambridge University and the Cleveland Clinic, and the results are in. It's proven to increase blood flow by repairing blood vessels. No pills and no side effects. If you're ready to put a stop to your ED by treating the root cause, call us now. And not only will the assessment and blood flow ultrasound be free, we'll also include something unique that produces powerful results in the bedroom. I don't think I've ever seen it fail. This is a $600 value, free to those that call in the next two minutes. 435-922-7000. That's 435-922-7000. Guys, put a stop to your erectile dysfunction and get your love life back. Call Wasatch Medical Clinic now to qualify. 435-922-7000. Copiers for Sale offers Southern Utah the best quality and pricing on printers, copiers, and plotters. They sell, lease, and service any equipment your business or home office needs. Copiersforsale.com, a local company and division of Steamroller Copies, is always asking, what do you want to print today? Boulevard Mattress, located at Boulevard Home on Mall Drive, where you can get an incredible mattress at a low, low price. And St. George Ink and Toner, now at their new location, 237 North Bluff, Southern Utah's number one place to purchase all your home and business printing supplies. St. George Ink and Toner. Looking for a great gift? Maybe the greatest gift? I got you. Hi, I'm Dave Mizrahi, owner of Best Mattress, where we have the greatest gift of all, great sleep. We've got the best prices on the world's best mattresses. Mattresses that will help you fall asleep faster, let you sleep deeper, and allow you to stay asleep longer. Wait, that's like three gifts. This just gets better and better. Plus, get a free gift worth up to $300 with the purchase of any qualifying mattress. Best Mattress. Sleep easy, friends. See store for details. Often when you or a loved one is in active addiction, the days run together. 
You may forget important dates like birthdays, anniversaries, and holidays. Let Lionsgate Recovery help transform this Christmas into something much more meaningful than ever before. Lionsgate is a drug and alcohol rehab in Southern Utah with locations in St. George, Tokerville, Cedar City, and Perwin. Call their 24-hour hotline at 866-471-9476 or go to lionsgaterehab.com. Lionsgate, people in recovery, helping people find recovery. NMLS 1817019. Want the lowest mortgage rate? Don't go to a bank or credit union. LendRight Mortgage's rates are often at least a quarter percent lower than other lenders. Listen to these Google reviews from very happy clients. Mary, I did my due diligence and compared three other companies, and none of them could compete with the rates offered by LendRight Mortgage. David, LendRight had the best rate we could find, and we shopped pretty heavily. Megan, they got me a great interest rate, much lower than competitors. Landon, from start to finish, they were great. Other companies couldn't touch their rates. Ron, on top of the superior service, I also got a 1.75% rate. Wow. This is why we confidently offer a $1,000 lowest rate guarantee. Rates in the ones will soon be gone. Call 801 Approve or visit LendRightMortgage.com. You may have been a prepper your whole life or just decided to become a prepper within the last 30 days. Information is the most valuable commodity, and the experts at Your Family Still Matters have been prepping for over 30 years. New product is arriving daily, and you can subscribe to their newsletter for updates and specials. Call 628-7042, that's 628-7042, or come by Your Family Still Matters under the big yellow sign that says Paintball Food Storage and Violins. Vista Healthcare is launching its new state-of-the-art multi-specialty clinic in Southern Utah. It encompasses primary care, rheumatology, neurology, endocrinology, interventional spine care, and pain management. The Vista Healthcare team is dedicated to providing world-class medical care through every stage of life. Vista Healthcare focuses on treating patients as unique individuals and strives to offer personalized and compassionate care. Now accepting patients for all specialties. Call 435-215-0257 or vista-hc.com. Here's my bucket list for the day. Read an article on a news subject. Say only nice things about others. And listen to everyone's opinions. Because making things better requires change. Now these changes aren't going to show up on your news feed, but they're things I can do. So change something today. It's not going to change the entire world, but it's going to change your world. Change is in you. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. song for this segment of the show um <laughs> don't let it be on an airline in fact uh i know uh for my husband and i we're just not gonna fly 
very much anymore at all. I don't see myself, I don't foresee myself flying a lot uh, in the in the future. I see myself probably driving. Um, welcome back to the Kate Daly Show. Robin Openshaw, the Green Smoothie Girl, is my guest for this hour. And I'm always blown away by Robin because she just nails it and says it. And I love that. Um, and you can go to vibe.com to get her podcast. I also want to mention two things. Number one, make sure you are going to Intermountain Audiology and taking advantage of saying my name to them and you get two free months of treatment. They're not doing this with anyone else. Two free months of treatment. And uh, all you have to do is go to Intermountain Audiology. And uh, you can go to IntermountainAudiology.com. And you can get that special. I'm telling you that they're only going to do this for a very, very short time right now. And take advantage of it. And if you're listen, if if I say to you that Biden is president-elect and you smile, I know you can't hear me because <laughs> you would be enraged at that because he's not. Uh, but I'm telling you, if you want a hearing test, that would probably be a good one. Make sure that if you're turning up the dial on this show to hear it, get into Intermountain Audiology. Uh, don't be p- pretending that, that you can hear when you can't. And we need your voice and we need you in that conversation. Um, also, I wanted to mention uh, an event coming up, actually. Um, let me grab this event for you. Uh, this is Saturday, Christmas Lights Concert. Uh, this is December 12th at 6 p.m. on Saturday at 476 South, 200 East, number 12 St. George near the Temple, right smack in the middle of the city. It is outside of many homes on the block, decorated stage, live entertainment. Santa's going to be there for the kids. Picture taking, free to the public, dress warm. Um, and uh, I encourage you to go. This Saturday, right smack dab in the middle of town. You just cannot miss it. Uh, 6, 6 p.m. Robin, okay, what happens on your next flight? I cannot wait to hear this. Oh, my gosh. So you took a connecting okay, flight. So- oh, Dear. Yeah, so so these two employees who had met us off the first flight and kept following us, I kept saying to them, hey, we're wearing the mask. Like, we immediately put the masks on when you asked us to. Why are you still following us? And they profiled us, stalked us across multiple concourses. We were literally, what? it was like some kind of spy movie. We were ducking into bathrooms. You're kidding. We, we ditched them finally, and we, we sat down in a little restaurant, and we had something to eat, and we were, like, strategizing, like, and we were like, oh, my gosh. What are we going to do if they're at the next gate? So, so John went down and scoped it out, and he came back, and he's like, "Babe, they they're there. They're standing there. They they're there." And we're like, "Oh my gosh, what if we can't get home?" Oh so of course gosh. we're just going to do what we're told, right? So right. we surprised them by walking up with our masks on, and I think that Brandon and his colleague, they their faces fell like, "Oh, we thought we would just bop them right here," but we walk up in our masks and. I, I could tell that there had been some tension between Brandon and his colleague and then the, the regular flight attendants who were going to scan in our tickets and send us on down the jetway. And this is like the one bright spot of this story. If I feel like absolutely no one stood up for us in this situation, mm-hmm. I feel like that, that flight attendant, she grabbed my she grabbed my phone, she scanned me in, and she practically pushed me down the jetway. She was like, nice. and she, she said very loudly, thank you for your platinum medallion status, Mrs. Openshop. Well, John is a little slower on the draw, and mm-hmm. he's getting out his—he's uh, getting out his phone to pull up his um, his boarding pass. And meantime, Brandon has had a t- had a minute to collect his thoughts, and he said, "You know, I don't like your mask." He points to John Mask. He said, "I don't—I don't like your mask. It's too—it's um, too like see through." What? And so he hands him one of those those blue like um, Teflon kind yeah. of ones, and he makes him put on this this uh, disposable mask. And he and I are just looking at each other like, just do whatever they say. 
And, um, and so then we're going to go get on the jetway. And then he says, hold on. He goes, I don't like your mask either. Your mask looks too breathable. Keep in mind that on the first flight, I had told the flight attendant, I pass out when I wear a mask. Like, I'll wear Jeez. it if you want, but that's the risk, right? We're here on this flight, and I might pass out. So now they, t- now they give me a mask where there's no possibility I can breathe in it. And if you've seen my face, I have a long, thin face, right? Mm-hmm. So I put on this, this disposable mask. I've, um, I- I've never worn one, so I don't really know how, to, how you make it fit. So I just put it on. We head down the jetway. We, we go to the back of the plane where our seats are. And as I'm going to put my um, my bag up in the in the overhead compartment, my mask slips a little bit below my nose. Next thing I know, and a stewardess pounces on pounces on me and says, "Your mask is below your nose." And I said, "Sorry," and I pulled it back up. Well, uh-huh. Brandon was hiding around a corner. He's <laughs> hiding around a corner, and so we're now sitting down in our seats. And he comes around the corner and he says. Uh, I hear we've had an incident. I'd like to see both of you off the airplane, please. What? And that's when, wow. yeah, so that's when I realized I'm in, we're in trouble. Like, we're not going to get home for Christmas. And so I stood up. I'm, 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 like, half sitting down. I stood up, and I sort of faced the whole back of the plane. So there's probably 50 people. They're either sitting down or they're putting their stuff in the overhead bins and rustling around. And I very loudly said, please, please, you've been stalking us for 90 minutes. You have followed us all over multiple concourses. We have been wearing the mask. We have done everything you've asked. We have, we have threatened no one. And we, we have elderly parents at home, and with all the borders closing, we don't know if we're going to ever see them again. This is our chance to see our family. My children are waiting for us at home. Please don't do that. So there's a good 50 people who heard me say that. And he, after I said that, he turned around and he said to all the passengers on the flight, you're all going to have to deplane now because of them. We have to disinfect from them. (laughs) What? Right. You're not kidding. Oh, my gosh. They deplaned the whole plane. That's not the end of this. Yeah. So he said, we're going to we're going to deplane the whole plane. And so. John and I are just in shock. Like, we didn't see uh, that coming at all. We never, never in a million years could have dreamed that up. You know, truth is stranger than fiction, right? So right. He's, go, he's, he's, like, whispering to me, like, let's just get off the plane, and we don't want to punish these people. And I said, no, we don't. But, like, like babe, we're not going to get home, and our stuff is under the plane, and they won't let us get back to Florida either. Like, I was starting to put two and two together. And uh, meantime, what do you think, what would you guess? Kate, what would you mm-hmm. guess happened with the 50 people at the back of the plane who heard every word I just said? I don't even know, because this is so insane anyway. I, I have no idea what they do. Yeah, so so this is a major point I want people to take from our story, because everybody, when they hear our story, they're like, sue them, sue them. Well, okay, but, you know, that like, takes thousands of dollars and yeah, tons they... of time and zaps your energy or whatever. And I'm like you. Like, when they require the vaccine, I'm not going to be flying anyway. But, right, but, but I they didn't do anything, did they? I have spent... I have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Delta in the last 10 years. I say I have sung its praises to anyone who will listen. I love that I get off the plane and there's my, right. my suitcase. And mm-hmm. so I'm in shock because, listen, that's not what you do in a free market system. When you have to compete yeah. for customers, when you have to right. compete for passengers, you treat your passengers well, especially your uh, frequent flyers, right? Yes. So you, what I want to just tell people so that you can think about what you're going to do when you see other people's human rights being violated. And you will, unfortunately you will, if you haven't already, you will 
we have to decide in advance what it is we're going to do to stand up to them because here's the most shocking thing about this whole story to me is what happened is that he turned the entire airplane against us as an angry mob. So he actually made the whole airplane a completely unsafe place to be by turning them against us, by blaming us for why they were going to deplane and make a whole bunch of people miss their connections. Oh, my so, gosh. Wow. Yeah, so, so we're in shock. We're in shock. And so I agreed with John. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want these people to be punished. And if everybody has to get off, we have to get off. So we get up and we start moving off the plane with our reels. At any point, Brandon, Brandon Witta of Delta, W-I-T-T-A. I don't have an obligation to, you know, hide his identity. Mm-hmm. Brandon Witta of Delta, who had apparently been given incredible powers to just kick off entire families off airplanes. We, we saw afterwards people were sending me this because it was going viral. Some, some Delta employee had tweeted bragging about how he spent the day before Thanksgiving running around uh, different concourses, kicking families off flights and this, this tweet, and I'm, I don't know if he, like, ever deleted it or whatever. I'm not even – I don't do anything on Twitter myself. Mm-hmm. But um, he had actually said, we even kicked a family off for their three-year-old's mask being underneath his nose. Sorry, little guy. Oh, and, my and then he just, gosh. Yeah. He, he just bragged about how great Delta was that he had been given this, like, broad-reaching power where he just got to spend his whole day running around kicking people off their flights and kicking people out of the airport. So I know that I wasn't the only one that this happened to. But so now we have an angry mob who starts shouting at us. And the main thing that people were saying was, get off the plane. We want to go see our families, too. So we're getting off the plane. So as we get off the plane, you got to realize that we're only, it's only the bad, it's like the jumbo jet where there's like the five seats in the middle and then there's like three seats on each side. So it's a a big plane. And keep in mind, you you guys were wearing masks. This wasn't that you weren't wearing masks. You were wearing masks, the ones they gave you. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And my, and my mask slipped below my nose and the attendant who had obviously been assigned to watch (laughs) me like a hawk caught me. I pulled it right up, said, I'm sorry. So that was our infraction. That was the infraction that caused a whole bunch of people to be forcibly missing their connection. And then they probably sprayed, you know, tons of Lysol in the plane after we got off. So he turned around, he turned the entire flight against us, except he still has the first two thirds of the flight that he has to go deplane and they don't know why. So we all are filing off of the plane. And here's the next astonishing thing. He had gone up in front and he had informed the first two thirds of the plane what we looked like. Because as we got off the plane, there's no other explanation for why. As we got off the plane, a crowd erupted in screaming and swearing and just verbal abuse of us. Oh, so, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and it's not even that. I'm not even done. Oh. It's not even the end of the story. Oh, my so gosh. We're just, Okay. We're just zombies at this point. We're just like, holy cow, what is happening here? So we just walked past them, just hoping we end up, you know, um, just getting through it okay and just not having people start throwing punches. I mean, we've seen that crazy things have happened on airplanes in recent months yeah. for incidents like this. I, I told my husband later um, that this guy, Brandon Witta, if he had been given a stick and permission to use it, we would have been in the hospital with broken bones. I'm convinced of it. Because uh, yeah, we walk yeah. past the angry mob. We're walking as fast as we can because of these people 
screaming at us, and they've been encouraged to. They've clearly been encouraged because there's no reason why they would even know what happened in the back of the plane. So we walked past them, and there's Brandon. He's posted himself past the angry mob, which he created, (sighs) apparently with the permission of his employer. So we go... We go past the, the mob and we stand, we stand there to listen to Brandon, you know, berate us. And he said, um, I said, please, please just let us fly back to Daytona Beach so we can get home. Like we're in a state we don't live in and we need to get one of those two places. And he goes, oh, no. He said, you will not be flying home and you will not be flying to your destination in fact, don't even think about trying to get a flight on another airline because we're all connected now, and I've put out an alert to make sure that that won't happen. Wow. Okay. We're going to come right. We actually have to break right now. Um, you should yep, see okay. my face right now. I, we're all connected, and we are absolutely barring you from flying home. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone's mm-hmm. worst nightmare. Okay, I'm not worse, but holy cow, it's up there. Be right back on the Kate Daly Show. I can't even imagine. I'm back with uh, Robin Openshaw. In a moment. Hello, my name is Kevin Mangold. I'm the director over preferred customer service and health coach scheduling at Balance of Nature. My department is hiring for phone agents and for live chat agents. Working in scheduling and customer service is satisfying and rewarding because we help so many people see success every day. I'm looking for people that want to make a difference in people's lives. If you enjoy helping people achieve success, come join our team. Go to balanceofnature.com careers to apply for customer service phone agent or customer care live chat support today. Hi, my name is Rodney, and I am the Director of New Sales at Balance of Nature. My department is hiring new sales agents and online chat agents. Working in the new sales department is fast-paced and rewarding because of our competitive camaraderie and the fact that we are the first people our customers meet. I am looking for hard-working, dedicated people to come join my team. Go to balanceofnature.com careers to apply for the new sales phone agent or new sales chat agent positions today. Hi guys, it's Andrew with Wasatch Medical Clinic. Are you struggling with erectile dysfunction and sick of the pills? Well, we have a major medical breakthrough. The WAVE technology at Wasatch Medical Clinic was tested by Cambridge University and the Cleveland Clinic, and the results are in. It's proven to increase blood flow by repairing blood vessels. No pills and no side effects. If you're ready to put a stop to your ED by treating the root cause, call us now. And not only will the assessment and blood flow ultrasound be free, we'll also include something unique that produces powerful results in the bedroom. I don't think I've ever seen it fail. This is a $600 value, free to those that call in the next two minutes. 435-922-7000. That's 435-922-7000. Guys, put a stop to your erectile dysfunction and get your love life back. Call Wasatch Medical Clinic now to qualify. 435-922-7000. Hey, this is Steve with Garage Doors Only. Did you know that each year over 10,000 people are hurt or injured attempting to repair their own garage door? At Garage Doors Only, our team of professionals can safely repair or replace your garage door or motor. Our business is family owned and operated and we service all of southern Utah and the Mesquite area. Don't be a statistic. Call the professionals at Garage Doors Only, 435-868-1200. 
Southern Utah's number one golf course is Copper Rock. Voted 2021's best golf course in Southern Utah. Nestled in the Hurricane Valley, acres of desert used for farming generations ago have been transformed to a new resort community featuring 18 holes of championship golf. On every hole, players are treated to sweeping vistas of grandeur offered by the Pine Valley Mountains, the Hurricane Cliffs, Zion National Park, and beyond. Grab your clubs to discover for yourself what makes Copper Rock stimulating and worthwhile. Go to copperrock.com for all the details. Greg Neal for Gold Ore Store, at your service. After years of store ownership and operation, I've learned some amazing lessons about life and how people think. Gold Ore Store is a tremendous service provider to this amazing community. Gold Ore Store has become a safe haven for people who either are in a position where they want to exchange Federal Reserve notes for real money, gold and silver. They want to pull out their dollars stuck in a bank account paying them zero interest. Or they need to sell their silver or gold to pay immediate or emergency bills. Gold Ore Store is a safe haven for both sides of this life choice. Gold Ore Store sells for less when you are buying and Gold Ore Store pays you more, so much more for your gold and silver than anyone else in town guaranteed. Find out the truth for yourself. Our hundreds of five-star reviews and consecutive award-winning history tell a story about who we are. Why go anywhere else? Goldorestore.com, 435-703-9119. Gold Ore Store equals inflation killer. Lionsgate Recovery Center is a proud sponsor of the Kate Daly Show. Lionsgate Recovery believes in a recovery approach that is holistic and comprehensive. At Lionsgate Recovery Center, we are people in recovery, helping people find recovery. We have got to get out and have some fun again. I'm so ready. You know, Casablanca was named gold winner in the RJ's 2020 Best of Las Vegas for Destination Casino Resorts. Casablanca in Mesquite? Golf, spa, Catherine's Steakhouse. I can hit the links. While I hit the spa. Casablanca, here here we come. come. Book your $99 room and golfer spa getaway today at mesquitegaming.com or call 877-GETAWAY. Casablanca Resort Casino in Mesquite, just like Vegas you to be must be 21 years or older talk lines are open now Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. What tidings of comfort and joy Welcome back. You're listening to the Kate Daly Show. Make sure you get the podcast, katedalyradio.com, for the podcast. Um, We're at about 2 million listens now with all the different venues, and it's kind of cool. I'm I'm really happy about that. Share and share and share. Um, Please, we need to educate America on what's really going on here. And uh, also get over to Tropical Pool and Spa. I absolutely love my bullfrog hot tub. And um, I'm telling you what, uh, I don't know anything that can take the stress away like that can for me right now and I'm just thinking it probably can do the same for you and right now they have specials with financing take advantage of it these guys are the best in the business Uh, surprise your spouse with a, a swim spa or a hot tub and I'm telling you 
they will love you. <laughs> Tropical fiberglass pool and spa. Those guys are fantastic. Highly, highly recommend them over everybody. They are that good. Um, and they know their business. They really do. They understand and they'll, they'll help you to get the right one for you. Um, I have Robin Openshaw, a green smoothie girl with me. I've been wanting her on my show for a long time and you can see why. She's very outspoken and I love this about her because she just talks truth and she's talking about I just still can't believe it. It's I'm still in shock, uh, Robin, over the events that took place with the airline being the literal Gestapo. I, I, I'm 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 just I can't believe it. So you're on this connecting flight. You get booted off the flight. Not only that, you're even masked up. You get booted off the flight and they deplane and you've got this angry mob around you. It's just insanity. Yeah. So then what happens because you land in a different state and now you're told that the airlines have basically merged all into one and you're going to be put on a no fly list and you can't get a flight. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that he exactly said the airlines have been merged into one, but I do want to point that out. That's my point. Yeah. I'm bothered trying to get a flight on another airline because we're connected and I've put out an alert on you, but we do, we do see as, as you know, I didn't, I'm in Facebook jail. I'm in my second 30 days of Facebook jail as most political conservatives. Yeah, I, I, I can't Facebook. comment right now on any page. I mean, I can't comment on a public page for until the 19th or something. I mean, it's just the stupidest thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, so, so I hadn't said anything on mm-hmm. Facebook. I still haven't because I can't. I'm in, I'm in jail. But, um, but as I just told family and friends and word started to spread, people were sending me the Spirit Airlines video that was going viral because it was just so such a head scratcher to look at this flight attendant instead of saying the thing will drop out of the ceiling so that you could put oxygen on yourself none of that instead it was we are government officials and we will put you literally says we can put you in prison for life and it very much reminds me of you know because i i used to teach um civics and uh American history and economics at BYU. It's an all-in-one class. I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with it called American Heritage. And I used to teach these things just semester after semester. And so I know a lot about the history of communism and how it starts with socialism and the people get acclimated to the government dictating all the terms of commerce. And that's what socialism is. And people think, oh, we're heading. I'm constantly hearing people saying, oh, we're, we're heading into socialism. And I'm like, do you know what socialism is? Because we are in full-blown socialism and we are rapidly heading into communism and what i want to point out is that um the what happened to us on that airplane would never happen in a free market economy where delta has to treat its frequent flyers like gold because they could just go to another airline right and there were there were you know like i was probably spending 30 40 a year on airfare um sometimes more and they don't care anymore. That's one thing that's super clear is that they don't care anymore. And you have to ask yourself why. And so as people were sending me all these different other bits of media, I'm a dot connector like you are. In fact, you've helped me connect some dots that I was missing if, if there's actually you as well. public information out there. Yeah, you as well for yeah. me. Thank you. Jeez. Yeah, so, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here. And, and so uh, one of the things that I think we have to um, take a look at especially in Utah, and I know not all your listeners are Utahns, but you and I mm-hmm. are from Utah. And um, I think that the culture of in Utah, we've never had to stand up to our government before. We, we have been used to our government representing us and representing us in a way that we think is, 
is fair and and represents our interests. And all of a sudden, it turned. It took a hard left and has never relented with Dr. Right. Dumb. Right. And um, and of course, her uh, her cohorts, uh, governors Herbert and Cox. Yes. And so I, I just want to point out that we're going to have lots of opportunities. Like I said where we see the rights of others being abused. And I don't know the quote, but there was some quote that came out of Nazi Germany that was, um, and it's very famous. I can't remember who said it, but it's basically they came for the Jews and I didn't stand for them because I wasn't Jewish. And then they came for the blacks and I didn't Mm -hmm. stand with them because, you know, I wasn't black and they came for these people and they came for those people. And then everybody was gone and they came for me and there was no one to stand with me. And, and I think that what happened on the back of that plane, I'm sure people on the back of the plane we're just as shocked as we were. And we know that some of those people were horrified by what was happening to us because they said so to us in a quiet voice. Yeah. Um, a, guy, a guy came up to me and said, I'll give you 200 bucks if you get off the plane. I said, I don't know if you can tell, but we're actually walking off the plane. And this isn't about money. And I don't need your $200. Thank you anyway. And then another guy was saying to us, hey, I'm totally with you, but this isn't a place to take a stand. And And we said, we're not taking a stand. We're literally wearing masks. We knew we were going to have to wear the mask to get home to see our family. We knew what the situation was right. here. Um, we're not taking a stand. That's not what happened here. I take a stand, and I've run. I've been a part of or run over fifty protests in the right. last nine months. Uh, but but we. I think that we have to decide in advance whether we're we're willing to take personal risks to stand for the rights of others because. If we don't, we're going to be the last one standing if we're lucky and no, and there's no one to stand up for us. And I've said since March that yes, the police, we're not used to the police turning on us. That doesn't happen in America. And people were calling me a conspiracy theorist when I Mm -hmm. said, here's the thing, when jobs get scarce and it's really, it was really clear to me in March that jobs were going to get scarce. We're going to see our own police officers turn on us, not just violate their oath to uphold the constitution and protect the people, but also turn on us with violence. Right. And so, you know, our sheriffs are going to be the last to go because they they're elected. And so the, you know, Herbert and Cox can't fire the sheriffs. And so they're taking a stand and they're, you know, making a moral stand about the oath that they took and whatever. It's the cops you got to watch out for. And it's already happening. We we had a protest yesterday at Alpine school district and uh, a gentleman by the name of, uh, Dallin Anderson was arrested. He's sitting in the Spanish Fork Jail right now. Um, and all he did is hold the door open as people were trying to go in. And they, the police decided that he can't hold the door open because he was letting in people without masks. Oh, my so, gosh. I don't even know. That's what the say. kind of thing that's going on. Uh, I'm just I'm so astounded. And, you know, a lot of people, they give money to a lot of different things, and the political parties is one. And my message this year has been, stop giving money to the political parties. It's worthless. You're throwing your money away, uh, because we both know that they both play both sides. Take your money and put it into lawsuits for people like what you just experienced, what the gentleman in Spanish Fork is experiencing, so that they have legal recourse and they don't feel like they're out there alone. And some brilliant person out there really needs to start a GoFundMe, but in a different way. And this would be to go and fund people that are trying to fight the system and doing it in the court of law, which I feel is the right way to do it, uh, because we still have a constitution. Last time I checked, it's still in play. And so we should be funding lawsuits like crazy right now. 
now, if you had a bunch of people that were helping you um, with funding and everybody put in 20, 50 bucks to help you, you could actually go after and, and, and really kind of uh, stake a claim on, you know what? People are going to fight you because people are going to gather and they're going to have money to do it. And we're going to fight this in court. Um, I don't know of any other recourse right now, but I think somebody should do this, please. You know, it's just insanity. Yeah, I've been I've been a part of uh, organizing a class action lawsuit of small business owners in Utah against against the government who has illegally and unconstitutionally, um, you know, in states like Michigan and California, they're getting a bullet to the brain, right? Mm -hmm. Or or Illinois, where they're just shutting them down. And Herbert and Cox know that they have to function a little bit differently in Utah, and most Utahns are asleep to the fact that. Our small businesses, our small and mid-sized businesses, our privately owned businesses will not survive the winter when they are in for, they're ordered to stay in 40% of capacity. That's, that may not be a bullet to the brain, but it's, it's death all the same by poisoning. It's just a slower death. And if, and if you don't believe me, go talk to some small business owners. I mean, I've been a small business owner for my, almost my entire adult life. I've owned a business since mm-hmm. I was 19, and I'm me too. 53 yeah. now. And yeah. I so, love it. You know, the, the small business owners know this. They know that their days are numbered. And so I've been organizing Utah small businesses on. So my website is takeactionforfreedom.com. Mm-hmm. And there's a coalition that we're working on there. So takeactionforfreedom.com slash coalition. Um, we're getting the business owners to go put their name and information in there so that we can stand behind them because That's we're going we to stand up to them. I feel, you know, the personal risks that I'm taking, I feel are well spent and mm-hmm. um, the risks I'm taking with my own safety and my own, you know, somebody asks yeah. me that every single day, right. they say, are you worried about your safety? And I'm like, you know what? There's 20 things I'm more worried about than my safety. Yeah. I'm, I'm expendable. I, mm-hmm. I've raised my children to adulthood. They're all flying. They're in college or older. And so that's what I'm for. That's my purpose now. And everything else I've done has just been to um, prepare me for, for this fight. And I realize like with people with small children, they, they really have to make that their first priority. So it's my job to fight for them because mm-hmm. they have to, they have to take care of their little ones. I don't. Yep. So I stand under a lightning bolt because somebody has to. Yeah. I, and, and my hat's off to you. A lot of respect, Robin, because, and I'm talking with Robin Openshaw, green smoothie girl. Um, and I, my hat's off to you because um, if it, we need people to stand firm, and if you feel like the the mob is getting angrier and you feel like you're alone, please don't. There are many many people out there that um, are behind you, and more people agree with you even silently than you think. And take actionforfreedom.com. People need to go there and be part of this. We need to start shoring that up. That's where our attention needs to turn to is to help people fight this. I said long ago that 100 businesses in every single city have to make a pact with each other that no matter what they will stay open they will conduct business no matter what the government tries to do and how uncomfortable they try to make us to take that damn vaccine which i'm not taking um but i i think that if we had a hundred a hundred businesses in every city do that they can't go after all of those businesses they won't but we have to start banding together to try to to try to combat this we do, and we're behind the power curve. I mean, this this was clearly engineered a long time ago, and if you don't believe me, you can just go to the World Economic Forum website, and you will see 
200 different nodes, and each of those 200 nodes has 200 links, and COVID's at the center of all of it. And they certainly didn't just slap that together since March. It's really, really obvious. They're starting to not care mm-hmm. anymore if I people figure it out because we've been we've been so dumb and, and let this thing go to this point that they're getting very bold. I mean, I'm sure you've seen Klaus Schwab has come out with his video and talking mm-hmm. about how when they take away yep. our rights to own private property, we'll all be happy. He's telling us yeah. on that we'll be happy when we are stripped of yeah. um, everything that makes Americans and everything we've worked for our whole lives. And, and guess what? There's 43% of us, I think, mm-hmm. in the United States on the dole in some form. So yep. maybe at least 43% well, hey. of us are going to be cheering. Yeah, I hey, don't know. The, maybe a lot of people will be excited about that. The UN uh, just came out, the UN, and told us that we, we should be super happy. We're going to be made to love eating bugs for protein. That's nice. I like bugs, for sure. Oh, yeah, just pop a cockroach in your mouth. Fun. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. And these things are being said. This isn't theory anymore. I, I wish people would, would get that memo, but um, people are, are slow to the curb, I guess. And I really appreciate what you're doing, because if we don't, if we don't stand behind each other, then we lose, because we can't be a threat to them at all, and we can be a threat in the courtroom. We can be a threat as as a group of people that are peacefully protesting. We can show up. We can even if the press doesn't doesn't acknowledge we're there or continuously undermines the numbers of people that show up to the protests like they always do. We can still show up. And you know what? There will be pictures on social media uh, to show the events. Um, so take action for freedom dot com. Anything else you'd like the you'd like the, the good people of Utah to know in this last 30 seconds, Robin? Yeah, I just want to say that I think if three people had said to Brandon, hey, that's not fair. You shouldn't be deplaning us. And why are you bullying these people? Let them get to see their family. I think if three people had said something to him, the entire outcome would have been changed. And we would have felt the people who did speak up would have felt empowered. And I hope that we all take that, that challenge. Amen. And everyone on that plane would have heard people stand up for you. And the momentum that could have created, like you just said, that momentum could have been... Totally changed uh, the direction of that whole event. Oh, I'm still so blown away. Robin Openshaw, the Green Smoothie Girl, so glad to finally get you on my show. And uh, we're going to be doing more shows together. I can see it in our future. <laughs> so, Can't wait. Thank you, Robin. Thank you for being a voice. Uh, man, isn't she amazing? Okay, folks, I want to add this into this podcast recording because I realized uh, from a listener that we didn't finish the story. How did she get home, right? Uh, She told me that they got a hotel, and here she lives in Florida, and uh, Robin rented a car the next day and drove home to Florida all day on Thanksgiving. Um, They actually were banned on Delta. Thanks for listening to The Kate Daly Show. It's time for the Kate Daly Show. You know, the real miracle of Christmas is that any religious significance remains. Despite the gaudy tinsel wrapping, the meaning of the Christ Mass remains somehow intact. Though our eager eyes now search the skies for man-made stars, we yet remember best the one which once upon a time stood still over a stable. This is the miracle of Christmas. Not that so many profane the day with self-indulgence, but that so many still trudge through the snow to an early service or a midnight mass. If after generations of effort we still tend to disparage the day, what do you suppose would happen if we instead renewed it? 
There are no more lengths to which we can go to dilute its significance. Perhaps we should revert to reverence. For if this magic day, despite the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, has somehow survived and thrived, my goodness, with proper care and tending, the love it represents might heal all of our hurts. The faith we could not starve to death, properly fed just once each year, might overwhelm the world. Anyway, we've tried everything else. The revitalization of Christmas will be as tedious as its erosion was gradual, but there's no better time than right now because it's later than it's ever been. Where do we begin? With prayerful thankfulness, I think. Merry Christmas, we traditionally say to one another. Merry Christmas. Yet that's not the larger meaning of the day. It's his birthday, not ours. Oh, I love that. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> Welcome. Kate Daly Show here. Happy to have you listening. Uh, let's Christmas it up a bit, shall we? Um, uh, let me play some really great recordings for you, and uh, maybe you can share these with your family Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, um, and and bring I don't know, shed some more light, shed some more light. Do you have any uh, Do you have any Christmas traditions, Uncle Milty, that you did with your families? Family, I just say not your multiple ones. I I don't not, not anything no. really that. Uh, Stands out. Other than going, th- we used to go to midnight mass. Yeah, that was the big thing. Going yeah. to mid because an hour before mass, everybody's singing Christmas mm-hmm. carols, and mm-hmm. it's a long. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a it long, long duration to go to midnight mass. Yeah, but that was the main one yeah. over see, the years. I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, but I actually went to mass last year just to check it out and see. I hadn't been for thirty years. I went one night thirty years thirty years ago when I was up in Seattle, and uh, and I actually I thought it was really nice. Half the people at nice church ceremony. at the midnight mass are LDS. <laughs> really? No, I'm well, not exaggerating. Hey, you never know. I mean, I thought it was. I just thought it was really neat. Well, it's um, a beautiful mass. It too. really is. It's, it's it is. It's really, it's really worth going to, and uh, um, and I, our, as far as our tradition, my tradition growing up was that we read through Luke, we read the story and uh, of Christ's birth, and we had statues that that we had out as the nativity scene, and so that, and so then we would want to be the statues and reenact the statues through the story on the floor, and my dad would cut out a star. And he'd put it on a flashlight and shine it up on the ceiling. Oh. And that was the star. And it was really fun. Really, really fun. We'd turn out some of the other lights and while that star was up. And it was just a really fun um, way to celebrate Christmas Eve. And uh, we've done all kinds of things, um, you know, with our family. Uh, growing up, we've always read the nativity story and and uh, the story about his birth. And I love this story by Paul Harvey. Let me play this for you. Uh, this is just a keeper. You'll love this. It's called uh, The Man and the Birds. And there's just... Just, some stories just get you. This is one of them that just gets to me every year. I love it. 1965, Paul Harvey. Here you go. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men. But he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. 
He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first, he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there, miserably, in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn but I would have to be one of them wouldn't I so they could see and hear and understand at that moment the church bells began to ring the sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. Wow. 
Nice. Mm. Uh, I love that. Every year, I absolutely love that. I also love this, too. This is the story of 1914 and Silent Night. Here you go. It was Christmas Eve, 1914, and all was quiet on the Western Front. How did I do that? For five months, Europe had been torn apart in what was touted as the war to end wars. The Allies, France, Great Britain, Italy, and Russia, had already engaged the central powers of Austria-Hungary, Germany, and the Ottoman Empire in bitter battles. New levels of mass carnage took place on the battlefield, courtesy of such modern marvels as machine guns, mustard gas, and landmines. Now winter had arrived, bringing with it frostbite and hypothermia, the curse of every ill-clad German or British soldier unlucky enough to be shivering in the icy trenches along Germany's border with France and Belgium. A collective sadness swelled across the isolated forest that Christmas Eve. But that night from the German trenches, a familiar tune floated over the battlefield. The British soldiers, hunkered down in their foxholes a quarter mile away, answered. The German army, not to be outdone, began decorating evergreen trees on the hillside by lighting candles in their branches. Before long, an informal ceasefire, inspired by soldiers at war, blossomed into a formal truce. Arms were dropped as both German and British soldiers embraced in a neutral zone called No Man's Land. Soon thousands of these soldiers were swapping insignias, kicking soccer balls, and exchanging holiday cards. One British soldier wrote home to explain his disbelief over what had just transpired. Just you think that while you were eating your turkey, I was out talking and shaking hands with the very men I'd been trying to kill a few hours before. It was astounding. Never before or since has a complete truce been honored in wartime to celebrate Christmas. Although the killing resumed on December 26, the newspapers in London and Berlin headlined stories about the power of peace in wartime. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, best known for Sherlock Holmes' whodunits, deemed the Christmas truce an amazing spectacle, believing history would honor it as one human episode amid all the atrocities which have stained the memory of war. It would be foolish, however, to attach some overweening lesson to be learned from the Christmas truce. But over the years, every time I hear a church choir or country crooner sing Silent Night, I think back to World War I, when for a moment, a battlefield became a place of peace. Only Christmas can do that. Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure only Christmas can do that, um, uh, especially during this time. Can you even imagine being on the on the field at that time when that was going on no. and not be touched by that? Just amazing. Anyway, story always warms my heart. Uh, we're going to come right back. Uh, a couple of more I need to share with you. And uh, and maybe Uncle Milty will share a memory or two. Who knows? <laughs> we'll be right back. On the Kate Daly Show, a couple days before Christmas. Be right back.
Hi guys, it's Andrew with Wasatch Medical Clinic. Are you struggling with erectile dysfunction and sick of the pills? Well, we have a major medical breakthrough. The WAVE technology at Wasatch Medical Clinic was tested by Cambridge University and the Cleveland Clinic, and the results are in. It's proven to increase blood flow by repairing blood vessels. No pills and no side effects. If you're ready to put a stop to your ED by treating the root cause, call us now. And not only will the assessment and blood flow ultrasound be free, we'll also include something unique that produces powerful results in the bedroom. I don't think I've ever seen it fail. This is a $600 value, free to those that call in the next two minutes. 435-922-7000. That's 435-922-7000. Guys, put a stop to your erectile dysfunction and get your love life back. Call Wasatch Medical Clinic now to qualify. 435-922-7000. Bose Auto Parts knows that you can purchase items for your vehicle at many auto stores. When they started, they wondered what would make them stand out from the competition. They came up with customer experience. If they were more knowledgeable, helpful, and friendly than anyone else, people would keep coming back. It looks like you've noticed and voted Bose Auto Parts Best of Southern Utah, in addition to voting them Best of Iron County. Bose would like to thank you for your support and let you know it's not the finish line, it's just the beginning. Are you close to retirement and over 62 years old? A reverse mortgage could be your key to financial freedom in retirement. Heritage Reverse Mortgage is offering a free Lunch and Learn seminar on reverse mortgages. Come learn the facts with Southern Utah's reverse mortgage specialists. Space is limited, so call today. Call Heritage Reverse Mortgage, 435-359-9000 to RSVP. That's 435-359-9000. Or sign up at heritagereversemortgage.com. NMLS number 1497455. Yogis have a place to go for meditation. Musicians have a place to go for inspiration. Do you have a place to go? Create your own place for restoration and rejuvenation in your own backyard. Outdoor living is where luxury meets the outdoors. Outdoor living will help you create your custom retreat. And now is the time to order your luxury custom outdoor furniture so you'll have your place ready in time for spring. Drop into outdoor living and look at their showroom because you aren't really living until you're outdoor living. Did you know the average TV commercial break is around three minutes long and that it takes a cup of noodles about three minutes to cook your favorite song is probably three minutes long too and you get a pressure filled three minutes to finish your turn in scrabble but did you know you can get a rain repelling triple foaming tire shining undercarriage rust inhibiting car wash in just three minutes you can with membership at quick quack home of the three minute shine just say siri directions to quick quack see you soon The most important person on your shopping list this year ought to be you. Hi, I'm Dave Mizrahi, owner of Best Mattress. Give yourself the gift of great sleep with a new Tempur-Pedic mattress at our huge holiday sale going on right now. Plus, you'll get a free gift worth up to $300 with the purchase of any Tempur-Pedic mattress. Best on the planet, plus 72-month no-interest financing and free safety-first home delivery. Best Mattress. Sleep easy, friends. See store for details. 
Just the other morning, an old friend I had not seen for many years walked into the store unannounced. I could tell by his countenance that he was very upset and was wanting a moment to consult with me. As we sipped our coffee together in private conference, he quietly divulged that he was very upset with his prior year's holiday season giving. I was perplexed at first until he went further into his explanation. He stated, Greg, I'm tired of giving the same old stuff. He actually said junk. For the holiday, it wears out. They don't appreciate it or they return it for the cash. It's just stupid, he said, and he finished with visible dismay. He stated that he had heard me for years going on and on about the value of gold and silver as a hedge against the rotten to the core government's ridiculous economic policies. He said he'll be giving silver coins as gifts this year. I wish you could have seen his face light up when he made the decision. Gold or store, gold, silver, and so much more. Gold or store equals inflation killer. Hey, it's Casey with Garage Doors Only. We want to thank you for voting us Best of Southern Utah three years in a row. We appreciate your vote of confidence. We are Utah's largest Clopay Garage Door dealer. Clopay Garage Doors are made in America with American steel. We are family owned and operated and licensed in Utah and Nevada. Garage Doors Only has been serving happy customers for over 21 years. Come pick out your new garage door and see us today at 689 North Bluff Street, where garage doors is all we do. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Uh, welcome back to the Kate Daly Show. I uh, want to play for you now, uh, of course, The Care Package by Leonard Lee Smith. This was an interesting story about a grandparent's love and how they can bring this at Christmas time. Here you go. It was Christmas time, 1974. I was 10 years old, but I wasn't looking forward to Christmas that year. The previous spring, my mother and the man who was to become my stepfather when all the divorces had been finalized and he and my mother could marry, had moved us from rural central Alabama to sunny southern California. My brother and I were leaving behind our father and all our extended family. This would be my first Christmas away from Alabama. My beautiful and elegant mother took to California like a swan to a royal lake. My soon-to-be stepfather was a California native. My very athletic little brother reveled in a temperate climate that allowed him to be outside 11 months of the year. I, however, was a fat, awkward child with a high-pitched voice and a heavy southern accent. I was having extreme difficulty with the transition to a West Coast lifestyle. My first day at my new school, I walked to the front of my fourth grade class to introduce myself. All I said was my name and where I was from, and the class erupted in laughter with jeers of, he talks funny and he has a weird accent. It took the teacher nearly two full minutes to restore order, and she was angry at me for having caused a disruption. I was so disillusioned after that first day that instead of walking home after school, I went to a nearby gas station and used a phone booth there to try and place a collect call to Granny Smith, my paternal grandmother. 
She was my biggest ally. I was going to ask her if I could return to Alabama and live with her and if she would send me the money for a bus ticket home. But despite several attempts, the line was busy and I never got through. My mother was constantly encouraging, nagging, and badgering me to lose weight and always trying to help with that endeavor with whatever the latest diet craze was. She had been a fat child herself, but with puberty she had gained height and lost weight and undergone the proverbial ugly duckling transformation to become a great beauty in high school. She saw weight loss as the panacea of all problems and believed it to be the key to my happiness. She was very relieved to have me away from the annual holiday sugar binges and weight gain that my Granny Smith's cooking provided. Granny Smith for, was for me everything good about Christmas. Her language of love was food. She was an excellent baker and candy maker. She would cook for weeks in preparation for Christmas Eve when all of her children and grandchildren would gather at her house. Every favorite dish, dessert, and confection had been made to specification. Her table and sideboard groaned under the weight of all of the food. My brother, my cousins, and I would burst through her kitchen door brimming with anticipation. Our arrival announced by the sound of five silver bells suspended from red velvet ribbon hung on a plastic poinsettia bouquet on the door. Her house was tiny and saturated with tacky Christmas decorations and cigarette smoke. But to my childhood aesthetic, it was glorious. She sewed new pajamas for all of her grandchildren. She scoured newspaper ads, catalogs, and stores all over town to get us exactly the toys we had requested. She was interested in me and my happiness. She was my resilience. She was magical, and I missed her desperately. It was Sunday evening, and I was moping around the house, dreading Monday and the return to school. Fortunately, there was only one week left until the Christmas break. I was longing for my familiar Southern Christmas. That Thanksgiving, we had spent with my stepfather's extended family. He and my mother had finally gotten married in Vegas over the summer. His family were polite, kind people, but I did not know them and fit poorly into their established routine, and I feared that Christmas would be more of the same. The phone rang. It was Granny Smith. She often took advantage of the discounted long-distance rates after 7 p.m. on Sundays. <laughs> she spoke with my brother Todd and I for nearly half an hour, asked us about our life and school and how things were going, assured us she had gotten the toys that we wanted and they would be there by Christmas. But before we hung up, she asked to speak to our mother. This request made my brother and me very anxious. When our parents separated, they didn't so much dissolve a marriage as declare war on each other. My brother and I knew that the campaigns and battles of this war could be long and brutal. My mother considered Granny Smith to be in the enemy camp. They maintained a civil but strained relationship. My brother and I were always worried that hostilities might erupt whenever they spoke to each other. Granny Smith informed my mother that she had sent a Christmas package and that it should arrive in the coming week. My mother said, 
thank you, but you didn't have to do that. It's very expensive to ship things across the country. I hope you did not have to spend a lot of money. Despite their differences, my mother understood and respected that Granny Smith was a woman of very modest means. Granny had been a widow for nearly 30 years and worked mostly menial jobs. For her, money was always scarce. Granny said it wasn't very expensive at all, and I was happy to do it. They exchanged polite but tense pleasantries, wished each other Merry Christmas, and said goodbye. And my brother and I breathed a sigh of relief. Sure enough, on Thursday after school, the phone rang. But it wasn't the U.S. Postal Service. It was the Greyhound bus lines calling to say we had a package waiting at the bus terminal in Claremont, California. My mother said to the clerk on the phone, I didn't even know that Greyhound shipped packages. The clerk said, oh, yes, ma'am, and we're much cheaper than the Postal Service because we don't deliver door to door. We have some of the cheapest rates around. My mother was a little annoyed by this since the bus station was nearly 10 miles away. But the clerk had assured her that the bus station was open 24 hours a day and that there was someone on duty at the shipping desk around the clock. We could pick the package up at any time. So after supper, we drove to the bus station. We went in to see the clerk. He confirmed that we had a package. And then he said to my mother, you can pull your car around into the loading bay. My mother said, what for? He said, oh, the package is too large to hand over the counter. My mother said, are you sure you've got the right package? This irritated the clerk, and he leaned over the counter and addressed my brother and me and said, are you guys Lee and Todd Smith? We nodded and said, yes, sir. He said, then this package is for you. I'll meet you around back. We drove around to the loading bay, and the shipping clerk came to our car with a hand truck carrying a heavily reinforced cardboard box large enough to hold a dishwasher or small refrigerator. He said this barely makes it inside the maximum freight dimensions and weight restrictions as he hoisted the box into our trunk and went to get some twine to tie the trunk lid closed. My brother and I were giddy with anticipation on the drive home wondering what the box contained. Our mother was not in such a good humor. She knew her ex-mother-in-law well and was suspicious of the box. When we got home, we had to go inside and get our stepfather. The box was too heavy for us to get out of the trunk. He grunted and complained as he sat the box down in the living room and said, What the hell did she send? A jeweler safe? My brother and I tore into the box, and the smell of our granny's house wafted into the air. A combination of fried meat, grease, furniture polish, and cigarette smoke. (laughs) There, beneath wadded newspaper and excelsior, was our southern Christmas. There were presents wrapped in colorful paper and bows to go under the tree. Neatly folded in brown paper was a new set of pajamas for both of us. There were also two five-count packs of Fruit of the Loom underwear in the appropriate sizes for us both. There was a countless number of decorative tins and repurposed Cool Whip containers. We opened them to find mounds of homemade Christmas treats, divinity, fudge, boiled chocolate cookies, parched peanuts, a massive container of nuts and bolts, which is what Southerners call homemade Chex Party Mix, but to which no prepackaged Chex Party Mix will ever compare. 
a whole fruit cake, a chocolate pound cake. She even included our traditional stocking stuffers of candy bars, chewing gum, citrus fruits, and pecans and walnuts in the shell. The box was as bottomless as Mary Poppins' satchel. As every sugary confection came out of the box, my brother and I shrieked with delight, and our mother moaned in defeat. <laughs> mother tried a last-ditch effort to hide all the confections and dole them out a few at a time, but each evening, when our stepfather arrived home, he would begin to search for them, and our mother's scheme would be thwarted. <laughs> Eventually, she just gave up and left it all out on the kitchen counter. Each Christmas that we spent in California, Greyhound would call and say that our package had arrived. <laughs> Over the years, many treasures arrived in the box, hand crocheted afghans, an heirloom family quilt, homemade Christmas decorations, a check to help with the purchase of my first car. For me, it was always the best part of Christmas. Even after I moved out of the house, the box continued to arrive. My friends and roommates at college were always astounded and delighted by the contents of the box. My grandmother was able to package and ship magic and love. Granny is long gone and missed more each year. Since her death, I have discovered in conversations with my cousins that Granny came to the rescue of all of her grandchildren at one time or another, softening what would have been hard and harmful emotional landings. She did it in such a way that we each thought we were her favorite. <laughs> Granny had endured a sad and difficult childhood with a mother who suffered from mental illness. She understood the importance of a child having an ally when a parent fails them. Each year, a few days after Thanksgiving, I hang Granny's plastic poinsettia bouquet with the bells on my front door to announce the arrival of holiday guests. I have mastered many of her recipes and last year finally managed a very respectable batch of divinity. When the Christmas season arrives, I lovingly remember Granny and cherish the magic and resilience she gave me. And during the holiday season, when I see a Greyhound bus on the highway, I think to myself, in the belly of that machine may travel some child's Christmas. That was uh, Leonard Lee Smith. Hmm. And, uh, and maybe some of you can relate to that story in numerous ways. Uh, a couple of the things he talked about resonated with me. And, and uh, you know, Christmas is about so many things, but it's also about those traditions and about love and about what um, what you get to feel around that time. It's why it's so popular. Yep. Yeah, it's why it's stayed that way. You relate to any of that in there? Yeah? You know, I had kind of a different childhood. I so. know you did. I um, know you did. Sometimes, yes. Uh, yeah, okay. Right, right when we come back, uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Hope you're all having a, a great start to a Christmas week. Be right back. We're live today, and uh, we'll take your calls, too, when we come on back. 
Every Hello, home. my name is Kevin Mangold. I'm the director over preferred customer service and health coach scheduling at Balance of Nature. My department is hiring for phone agents and for live chat agents. Working in scheduling and customer service is satisfying and rewarding because we help so many people see success every day. I'm looking for people that want to make a difference in people's lives. If you enjoy helping people achieve success, come join our team. Go to balanceofnature.com careers to apply for customer service phone agent or customer care live chat support today. Hi, my name is Rodney, and I am the director of new sales at Balance of Nature. My department is hiring new sales agents and online chat agents. Working in the new sales department is fast-paced and rewarding because of our competitive camaraderie and the fact that we are the first people our customers meet. I'm looking for hard-working, dedicated people to come join my team. Go to balanceofnature.com slash careers to apply for the new sales phone agent or new sales chat agent positions today. There's frustrating and there's insurance company frustrating. Constant phone calls, piles of paperwork, the insurance company knows what it takes to push you to the edge. At Siegfried and Jensen, we won't let you fall. After you're hurt, never go it alone. We can help you right now at our St. George office located on Red Hills Parkway. Call Siegfried and Jensen today at 435-222-2222. Or to find out more, visit us at SiegfriedandJensen.com. Would you like to be as comfortable in your backyard furniture as you are in your favorite chair? Outdoor Living makes it possible. You can have a space in your own backyard with furniture that is durable, long-lasting, and most importantly, as comfortable as everything else you own. Outdoor Living is where comfort meets the outdoors. Outdoor Living will help you create your custom man space. Now is the time to do so, so you'll be ready for next spring. Check out the Outdoor Living showroom and feel for yourself. You aren't really living until you're outdoor living. Hey, this is Steve with Garage Doors Only. Did you know that each year over 10,000 people are hurt or injured attempting to repair their own garage door? At Garage Doors Only, our team of professionals can safely repair or replace your garage door or motor. Our business is family owned and operated and we service all of Southern Utah and the Mesquite area. Don't be a statistic. Call the professionals at Garage Doors Only, 435-868-1200. Greg Neal for Gold Ore Store, at your service. After years of store ownership and operation, I've learned some amazing lessons about life and how people think. Gold Ore Store is a tremendous service provider to this amazing community. Gold Ore Store has become a safe haven for people who either are in a position where they want to exchange Federal Reserve notes for real money, gold and silver. They want to pull out their dollars stuck in a bank account paying them zero interest. Or they need to sell their silver or gold to pay immediate or emergency bills. Gold Ore Store is a safe haven for both sides of this life choice. Gold Ore Store sells for less when you are buying and Gold Ore Store pays pays you more, so much more for your gold and silver than anyone else in town guaranteed. Find out the truth for yourself. Our hundreds of five-star reviews and consecutive award-winning history tell a story about who we are. Why go anywhere else? Goldorestore.com, 435-703-9119. Goldorestore equals inflation killer. Best of Southern Utah winner, Prolong Medical says, ladies, did you know that one in three women experience 
bladder weakness and that bladder incontinence is three times more common than seasonal allergies, there is only one root cause to this embarrassing medical issue, a weakened pelvic floor caused from pregnancy, changes in hormones, menopause, and stress. Urinary incontinence doesn't have to control you and your life. This embarrassing medical issue affects both women and men and has uncomfortable and frustrating symptoms. Besides the cost of urinary incontinence products can downright be expensive. At Prolong Medical Center, we have a solution that treats incontinence in women and men, where you can literally sit back on a custom-designed chair and experience a breakthrough treatment for incontinence without even removing your clothing. Don't let this medical issue control your life. Take back your health and your dignity. Schedule a free consultation today at Prolong Medical. We can make a difference in your life. Call 435-375-5000 or ProlongMedical.com. Best of Southern Utah winner. Hi, this is Kate Daly, and I love my sponsors. Boulevard Mattress, located at Boulevard Home on Mall Drive, where you can get an incredible mattress at a low, low price. And St. George Ink and Toner, now at their new location, 237 North Bluff, Southern Utah's number one place to purchase all your home and business printing supplies. St. George Ink and Toner. This show is previously recorded. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in live show before Christmas and uh, you know through the years I've played a lot of recordings and have done a lot on uh, Christmas. I actually played um, the uh, Falk uh, story, the famous Christmas story, the one I play every year. I played it last week on Wednesday and that is on podcast. It's just a nine minute, uh, it's a 13 minute podcast. Make sure and grab that. Uh, It's such a wonderful story in the way that uh, John Henry Falk talks about it, tells it that it is not to be missed uh, during this Christmas season. I welcome back Uncle Milty's with me. Hi there. And uh, and, uh, Oh Holy Night, by the way, Oh Holy Night uh, was the very, in 1906, was the very first broadcast over the radio. Uh, The the gentleman played um, Oh Holy Night on the violin and also read from the gospel according to Luke. (laughs) Uncle Milty and I were just having this conversation. I read from uh, Luke chapter 2 from his Bible, and and that was the first recording that ever went out. The, The song written by a poet in France in 1847 but in 1906, on Christmas Eve, it was the very, very first uh, recording that ever went out on the uh, airwaves. Uh, he didn't even know that anyone was listening or could hear him. When he did this, he was just tinkering in his office. He was only 33 years old, and uh, he was a uh, 33-year-old university professor named Reginald Fessenden. And uh, he played uh, Oh Holy Night on his violin. I think that's pretty apropos. I think it's really neat that yeah. that's, that yeah, was the case, is. you know. Um, favorite, uh, uh, favorite memory at Christmas, favorite something or other at Christmas, Uncle Milty? You know, a, a big thing in my family, mm-hmm. when I was real young, my grandmother would read mm-hmm. 
Dickens. Oh, yeah. A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. That was always a big thing. Sure. Um, and then we started watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And I can only watch one version of that movie. I don't really? like, I don't enjoy like any of the other. Remakes? Mm-hmm. The only one is the 1951 version with Alastair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm. What do you like about that one? Yeah, it just. That's it for you? That's the story? It is the story. It doesn't have any of the, mm-hmm. you know, over time from the 1950s on. Mm-hmm. We started looking at things a little differently here and there. Mm-hmm. And the newer versions show that change. And the the original Alastair Sim movie is is exactly like reading the book. I mean, it's just oh, almost perfect. Yeah. So it makes a huge difference. But there was a couple of versions on this past week, and I, I was disappointed because the night they did the Alastair Sim version, I wasn't able mm. to watch it so mm. i haven't seen it come up again but that's been a tradition of yours yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's a biggie for me and uh, it's a wonderful life always always <laughs> always i have that yeah. recorded yeah. so i always have that right. to watch. i love that uh one of the things about my faith i don't really sh- usually share a lot on this national show but um but the uh, book of mormon for a lot of people that don't know it, it's it's really truly about uh, 600 years before christ and the foretelling that he was going to be born across the pond and uh from people here and as uh, they were discussing and knew of his impending arrival um, the book is about that. And so for us, Christmas time is very, very special because it was forecast here as it was there. And, um, and the fact that that's the, you know, this book's been around a long time. It's never been disproven. This was a, a record of the people here. And I, I just find that even more so adds to the Christmas story for me because uh, his birth was that important that uh, they were even prophesizing about it 600 years before he came and, and really preparing everybody. That's what that's about. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't realize that they probably have never read it or don't understand, you know, what it's really about. But um, but it is. And I'm uh, so grateful for that and what it means in my life. Um, And so uh, faith is a huge, huge, important part of my life. I I wouldn't be here without my faith. And I think you feel the same way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's what's probably really important about this holiday. And I love Paul Harvey in the very beginning talking about the fact that you know, we've moved away from the real meaning of this, and this really is about his birthday, not ours. It's his birthday. Sometimes we forget that, and I love the lesson that's told in that because I, we really do have to remember and teach our children um, that it's really about him, uh, that, that it really comes down to uh, Christ, uh, the Savior, being born. That's it. That's why we're all gathering. So, um, And why this? I think this day just continues to be that special for people, truly. Um, all right. I'll take a, a call real quick. Hi, caller. Welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Well, good afternoon. Hi guys. there. Hi, Hi there. Go right ahead. Um, I, I, Milty, I agree with you, uh, about the Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my, I, that's a, a tradition of, of our family as well. Mm-hmm. The, we watch two versions of that. I, I will admit that I have not ever seen the the uh, 51 version that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and I think I'll have to, to check that out. Uh-huh. But uh, the one that we watch is the one with George C. Scott. 
Mm-hmm. And then we also watch the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen those too. Yeah, yeah. And that you know, my grandkids, for example, that that's a tradition that we've you mm-hmm. know set with them. You know, Christmas Eve when we're around them. Sure. You know, we're we're always sitting down to watch the Muppet Christmas Carol and. Well, thank and you. Like yep. And Thanks. I actually have. Um, mm-hmm. It was only just a couple of years ago when mm-hmm. I first read the story itself. Mm. I've never read the Christmas Carol until just a couple of years ago. Oh, interesting. And I really, really enjoyed the story. Thank yeah. you. Yep. Thank you for that. Really appreciate that. Yeah, uh, yeah we do too. And and uh, it's always a classic. All the versions and everything. Oh yeah, I love it. That, but the one, my, the version I like. I think it really makes you feel like you're in that time period mm-hmm. more than any other by far. Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah, I agree. In fact, they have the truth about the the real Ebenezer Scrooge. Who was Tiny Tim? Where did the Cratchits really live? There's a whole backstory to that, and it's really really intriguing too. You can find that online. Um, you know the weird scene in the pawnbroker's shop. There's all kinds of scenes uh, that are that are explained mm-hmm. um, into um, into people that from from real life. So I always find that kind of interesting too. Um, lots of tra- lots of traditions, I should say. I wanted to um, play this quick one for you. This was a Christmas in 1949, and I love this one too. Uh, this is just uh, three and a half minutes. Here we go. I love I love the telling of this because it really is what Christmas is truly about, if you really think about it. And I love the story about um, when they recorded in the in the in the very beginning of the 1900s what public education was, and the kids were actually making things to go in Santa's bag. Santa didn't deliver them presents. They delivered presents to santa santa took them away in his red bag to give to kids that were that didn't have anything right and i I just there's something that we've switched you know about christmas but three and a half minutes here we go the christmas of 1949 here you go a light drizzle was falling as my sister jill and i ran out of the methodist church eager to get home and play with the presents that santa had left for us and our baby sister sharon across the street from the church was a pan-american gas station where the greyhound bus stopped It was closed for Christmas, but I noticed a family standing outside the locked door, huddled under the narrow overhang in an attempt to keep dry. I wondered briefly why they were there, but then forgot about them as I raced to keep up with Jill. Once we got home, there was barely time to enjoy our presents. We had to go off to our grandparents' house for our annual Christmas dinner. As we drove down the highway through town, I noticed that the family was still there, standing outside the closed gas station. My father was driving very slowly down the highway. The closer we got to the turnoff from my grandparents' house, the slower the car went. Suddenly, my father U-turned in the middle of the road and said, I can't stand it. What? asked my mother. It's those people back there at the Pan Am standing in the rain. They've got children. It's Christmas. I can't stand it. When my father pulled into the service station, I saw that there were five of them, the parents and three children, two girls and a small boy. My father rolled down his window. Merry Christmas, he said. Howdy, the man replied. He was very tall and had to stoop slightly to peer into the car. Jill, Sharon, and I stared at the children, and they stared back at us. You waiting on the bus, my father asked. The man said that they were. They were going to Birmingham, where he had a brother and prospects of a job. Well, that bus isn't going to come along for several hours, and you're getting wet standing there. Windborne's just a couple miles up the road. They've got a shed with a cover there and some benches, my father said. Why don't you all get in the car, and I'll run you up there. 
The man thought for a moment, and then he beckoned to his family. They climbed into the car. They had no luggage, only the clothes they were wearing. Once they were settled in, my father looked back over his shoulder and asked the children if Santa had found them yet. Three glum faces mutely gave him the answer. Well, I didn't think so, my father said, winking at my mother, because when I saw Santa this morning, he told me he was having trouble finding y'all, and he asked me if he could leave your toys at my house. We'll just go get them before I take you to the bus stop. All at once, the three children's faces lit up, and they began to bounce around in the back seat, laughing and chattering. When we got out of the car at our house, the three children ran through the front door and straight to the toys that were spread out under our Christmas tree. One of the girls spied Jill's doll and immediately hugged it to her breast. I remember that the little boy grabbed Sharon's ball, and the other girl picked up something of mine. All this happened a long time ago, but the memory of it remains clear. This was the Christmas when my sisters and I learned the joy of making others happy. My mother noticed that the middle child was wearing a short-sleeved dress, so she gave the girl Jill's only sweater to wear. My father invited them to join us at our grandparents for Christmas dinner, but the parents refused. Even when we all tried to talk them into coming, they were firm in their decision. Back in the car on the way to Winborn, my father asked the man if he had money for bus fare. His brother had sent tickets, the man said. My father reached into his pocket and pulled out two dollars, which was all he had left until his next payday. He pressed the money into the man's hand. The man tried to give it back, but my father insisted. It'll be late when you get to Birmingham, and these children will be hungry before then. Take it. I've been broke before, and I know what it's like when you can't feed your family. We left them there at the bus stop in Winborn. As we drove away, I watched out the window as long as I could, looking back at the little girl hugging her new dog. Wow. Nice. That's a, that's a really touching story. It is. And it's one of the gifts that we've lost a lot of. It's been diluted yeah. due to forced giving. I so agree with that. I so agree with that. I was watching everybody gather their list frantically mm. uh, shopping over the weekend and everybody, you know, you could tell it was like a check mark on the list. You know, yeah. I've got so-and-so, I've got so-and-so, I've got so-and-so and the frantic faces. And I thought to myself, sometimes we've, we've really lost that. I was thinking the same thing over the weekend. It's kind of funny that you'd say that, but it really is, you know, the only Christmases people ever really remember, because if you ask your kids what they got last year, they won't be able to tell you. It's the ones where there was a sacrifice made or something just like in the telling of this 1949 at this time of year by paul oscar every mm-hmm. time i think about going shopping to buy a gift uh-huh. i get depressed really yeah because to me it's just not about that i yeah. who wants to sit and pull their hair out trying to figure out what to get somebody as a gift <laughs> that's so true. that they might appreciate yeah but you don't really yeah. know yeah, that's so true yeah but uh, it really is in the giving. When Paul Oscar wrote this, that was the Christmas that came to mind. And and, and I'll, I'll bet he tells that story all the time. Oh, yeah. It's always the story where a sacrifice was made. Yep. You know, my father-in-law tells the same story uh, about um, about a cow that they, him and his brother tried to sell so they could get presents for the rest of the family. And it's the same kind of thing. It's always about the sacrifice. My kids remember the, the Christmases where... We delivered presents to another family anonymously. That's the part they remember the most. 
and uh, and I sure hope that we give we, we keep up the giving because it's the giving it's the sacrificing otherwise what does it really mean because it's his birthday not ours you know uh, and uh, I love that Paul Harvey said that I, I wish all of you a Merry Christmas we'll be back after the holidays but I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to you, Uncle Milty. Thanks for being my my co-host on this show. I love it. Well, I love being you're here. Good with at you. it. You're good at it. What can I say? And uh, and I'm just so grateful to him. And I'm grateful to all of you. Thank you for all your continued support. Thank you for donations to the show. Thank you for just being you. I really appreciate and gleam off of all of you. And I really do hope that we have such a, a happy Christmas and New Year's, and that we kind of forget about politics for the next little while and concentrate on what's important. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas to all of you. I'll put this up on podcast for you. And uh, thanks, Uncle Milty. Thank you. Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. You too. Everybody have a great one. Be faithful. Be fearless. See you back here after the holidays. Thanks for listening to The Kate Daly Show. Owning in information. Starving for wisdom. The Kate Daly Show starts now. You know, the real miracle of Christmas is that any religious significance remains. Despite the gaudy tinsel wrapping, the meaning of the Christ Mass remains somehow intact. Though our eager eyes now search the skies for man-made stars, we yet remember best the one which once upon a time stood still over a stable. This is the miracle of Christmas. Not that so many profane the day with self-indulgence, but that so many still trudge through the snow to an early service or a midnight mass. If after generations of effort we still tend to disparage the day, what do you suppose would happen if we instead renewed it? There are no more lengths to which we can go to dilute its significance. Perhaps we should revert to reverence. For if this magic day, despite the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, has somehow survived and thrived, my goodness, with proper care and tending, the love it represents might heal all of our hurts. The faith we could not starve to death, properly fed just once each year, might overwhelm the world. Anyway, we've tried everything else. The revitalization of Christmas will be as tedious as its erosion was gradual, but there's no better time than right now, because it's later than it's ever been. Where do we begin? With prayerful thankfulness, I think. Merry Christmas, we traditionally say to one another. Merry Christmas. Yet that's not the larger meaning of the day. It's his birthday, not ours. Welcome back to the Kate Daly Show. This show is pre-recorded. This is the um, uh, the John Henry Falk Christmas story uh, that I play every year, and always puts a tear in my eye, no matter no matter what. Here you go. The day after Christmas, a number of years ago, I was driving down a country road in Texas, and it's a bitter cold, cold morning. And walking ahead of me on the gravel road was a little barefooted boy with nondescript ragged overalls and a makeshift sleeve of a sweater tied around his little ears. I stopped and picked him up. Looked like he was about 12 years old and his little feet were blue with the cold. 
He's carrying an orange. And he got in and had the brightest blue eyes one ever saw, and he turned a bright smile on my face and says, I'm going down the road about two miles to my cousin's. I want to show him my orange old Sandy Claus brought me. Well, I wasn't going to mention Christmas to him because I figured he came from a family that kind of don't have Christmas. But he brought it up himself. He said, did old Sandy Claus come to see you, mister? And I said, yes, we had a real nice Christmas at our house, and I hope you had the same. He paused for a moment, looked at me, and then with all the sincerity in the world said, Mister, we had the wonderfulest Christmas in the new nine states down to our place. Lordy, it was the first one we ever had had there. See, we never do have them out there much. Don't notice when Christmas time comes. We'd heard about it, but never did have one because, well, you know, it just... Papa says that old Sandy Claus, Papa Hoorahs a lot, said old Sandy Claus was scared to bring his reindeer down into our section of the county because folks down there are so hard up that they liable to catch one of his reindeer and butcher him for meat. But just, just several days before Christmas, a lady come out from town and she told all the families through there, our family too, that they was old Sandy Claus was coming town to leave some things for us, and if Papa'd go in town, he could get some Christmas time for all of us. And Papa hooked up the mule and wagon. He went in town, but he told us children, said, "Now don't y'all get all worked up and excited because there might not be nothing to this yarn that lady told." And, but shucks, he hadn't got out of sight up the lane there. We was done watching for him to come back. We couldn't get our minds on nothing else, you know. And Mama, she'd come to her once in a while and say, Now, y'all quit that looking up the lane because Papa told you there might not be nothing. And, but long about the middle of the afternoon, well, we heard the team of jangling the harness coming, and we ran out in the front yard, and Ernie, my little brother, called out and said, Yana, come, Papa. Here come them mules just in a big trot, you know, and Papa standing up right in the bed of that wagon holding two big old chickens, all feathers picked off. And he was just yelling, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And the team stopped right in front of the gate, and all us children just went swarming out there like a like a flock of chee-chees, you know, and just crawling over that wagon and looking in. And, mister, I wish you could have seen what was in that wagon. It's bags of stripy candy and apples and oranges and sacks of flour and some real coffee, you know, and just just all tensely and pretty and we couldn't say nothing just kind of held her breath and looked at it you know and papa standing there just waving them two chickens and yelling merry christmas to you merry christmas to you and a laughing that big old grin on his face and mama she come a hurrying out with the baby in her arms you know and when she looked in that wagon she just stopped and papa he dropped them two chickens and wrenched and caught the baby out of her arms you know and held him up and said, Merry Christmas to you, Sandy Claus. And, and, and baby little old Alvy Lee, he just, he just laughed like he knowed it was Christmas too, you know. And Mama, she started telling us the name all it. Them nuts, it wasn't just peanuts. It was She had names for all of them. She, Mama knows a heap of things like that. She'd seen that stuff before, you know. And we was all of us just a chattering and a going on at the same time us young'uns are looking in there. And all of a sudden, we heard Papa call out, 
Merry Christmas to you, Sam Jackson. And we stopped and looked, and here comes Sam Jackson leading that old cripple leg mule of his up the lane. And Papa said, Sam Jackson, did you get in town and get some Christmas this year? Sam Jackson, you know, he share crops over there across the creek from our place. And he shook his head and said, well, no, sir, Mr. Will, I didn't go in town. I heard about that, but I didn't know it was for colored folks, too. I thought it was just for you white families. All of a sudden, none of us children were saying nothing. Papa, he, he looked down at Mama, and Mama looked up at him, and they didn't say nothing like they don't a heap of times, but they know what the others are thinking. They're like that, you know. And all of a sudden, Papa, he broke out in a big grin again. He said, Dad, blame it. Sam Jackson, a sure good thing you come by here. Lord have mercy. I like to forgot. Old Santa Claus would have me in court if he'd heard about this. The last thing he asked me if I lived out here near you. Said he hadn't seen you around and said he wanted me to bring part of this out here to you and your family. Your woman and your children. Well, sir, Sam Jackson, he broke out in a big grin. And Papa said, I'll tell you what to do. You get your wife and children and you come down here tomorrow morning. It's going to be Christmas time all day long. Come early and stay late. And Sam Jackson said, you reckon? And Mama called out to him and said, yes, and you tell your wife to be sure and bring some pots and pans because we're going to have a heap of cooking to do, and I ain't sure I've got enough to take care of all of it. Well, sir, old Sam Jackson, he started off uh, leading that mule up the lane in a full trot, you know, and he was heading home to get the word to his folks and his children, you know. And next morning, it just, you remember how it was yesterday morning? Just rosy red and looked like Christmas time. It's cold, but you didn't notice the cold, you know, and the sun just come up, just all rosy red, and us young'uns were all out of bed before daylight, seemed like, just running in the kitchen and smelling and looking, and it was all there, sure enough. And here comes Sam Jackson and his his team and his wife and his five young'uns in there, and it's all looking over the edge, and we run out and yell, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, and Papa said, Christmas gift to you, Sam Jackson. Y'all come on in. And they come in, and Mama and Sister Jackson, they got in the kitchen, and they started uh, cooking things up. And us youngins started playing Christmas time. And it's a lot of fun, you know. We just play Christmas gift with one another and run around and around the house and just roll in the dirt, you know. And then we started playing, go up to the kitchen door and smell. And we'd run up and smell inside that kitchen door where Mom and Sister Jackson was cooking at. And then we'd just die laughing and roll in the dirt, you know, and, and go chasing around and playing Christmas gift. And we played Christmas time till we just wore ourselves out. And Papa and Sam Jackson, they put a table up and put some sheets over it, some boards up over some sawhorses. And everybody had a place, even the baby. And Mom and Sister Jackson said, well, now it's ready to Come on in, we're going to have Christmas dinner. And I sit right next to Willie Jackson, you know, and he'd just roll his eyes at me, and I'd roll my eyes. We'd just die laughing, you know, and there was an apple and an orange and some stripy candy at everybody's place. And that was just dessert. See, that wasn't a real Christmas dinner. Mama and them had done cooked that up, and they just had it spread up and down the table. And so Papa and Sam Jackson, they'd been sitting on the front porch, and they come in. Papa, he sit at one end of the table, and Sam Jackson sit at the other, and it was just a beautiful table like you never had seen. 
and I didn't know nothing could ever look like that and smell that good, you know. And Sam Jackson, you know, he's real black, and he had on that white clean shirt of his and in them overhauls. Everything had been washed and was real clean. Papa, he said, Brother Jackson, I believe you're a deacon in the church. I ain't much of a church man myself, but I believe you're a deacon. Maybe you, you'd be willing to give grace. Well, Sam Jackson, he stood up there, and his hands was real big, and he kind of held on to the side of that table, you know. But he didn't bow his head like a heap of folks do when they're saying blessing. He just looked up and smiled. And he said, Lord, I hope you're having as nice a Christmas up there with your angels as we have it down here. Because <laughs> it's glorious Christmas time down here. And I just wanted to say, Merry Christmas to you, Lord. Like I say, mister, I believe that was the wonderfulest Christmas in the United States of America. Isn't that great? Ah, John Henry Falk. Um, that Christmas story, probably one of the best. Um, just absolutely love that. And, you know, that's the America I live in. That's the America I live in and, and have lived in. And so um, when I hear the governor uh, come out and say these things, I'm always perplexed because um, when he thinks we need equality clauses and compacts and I, you know... Look around, you know, people are, are, are genuinely pretty kind to each other. And the few, very few cases of that that happen or maybe, maybe centralized to maybe a few particular areas um, in the United States, um, if there is that kind of judgment going on and that kind of perceived racism going on, you know, um, that cannot paint the the, the picture for all of America. Hi guys, it's Andrew with Wasatch Medical Clinic. Are you struggling with erectile dysfunction and sick of the pills? Well, we have a major medical breakthrough. The WAVE technology at Wasatch Medical Clinic was tested by Cambridge University and the Cleveland Clinic, and the results are in. It's proven to increase blood flow by repairing blood vessels. No pills and no side effects. If you're ready to put a stop to your ED by treating the root cause, call us now. And not only will the assessment and blood flow ultrasound be free, we'll also include something unique that produces powerful results in the bedroom. I don't think I've ever seen it fail. This is a $600 value, free to those that call in the next two minutes. 435-922-7000. That's 435-922-7000. Guys, put a stop to your erectile dysfunction and get your love life back. Call Wasatch Medical Clinic now to qualify. 435-922-7000. Brr. Do you feel it? The chill in the air. Winter must be right around the corner. Call Advanced Heating and Air right now to schedule your furnace tune-up for only $79. That's right, only $79. And get your furnace tune-up done right the first time in no time with Advanced Heating and Air. There's a chill in the air, and that means it's time to get your furnace service today for only $79. Call Advanced Air right now, 635-2257, or visit advancedairutah.com. 
Twas the night before Christmas when all through the jail, everyone's hungry and waiting on bail. The withdrawals begin while everyone watched. Another holiday season sadly was botched. You start to regret all the things that you've done and finally realize that drugs are no fun. You want to prevent this, you don't have a clue. Here's one thing you probably should do. Pick up the phone and call us today. Hope Rising Recovery will show you the way. 435-632-3335 will treat you like family and keep you alive. Hope Rising Recovery. Find your family. Just the other morning, an old friend I had not seen for many years walked into the store unannounced. I could tell by his countenance that he was very upset and was wanting a moment to consult with me. As we sipped our coffee together in private conference, he quietly divulged that he was very upset with his prior year's holiday season giving. I was perplexed at first until he went further into his explanation. He stated, Greg, I'm tired of giving the same old stuff. He actually said junk. For the holiday, it wears out. They don't appreciate it it or they return it for the cash. It's just stupid, he said, and he finished with visible dismay. He stated that he had heard me for years going on and on about the value of gold and silver as a hedge against the rotten to the core government's ridiculous economic policies. He said he'll be giving silver coins as gifts this year. I wish you could have seen his face light up when he made the decision. Gold or store, gold, silver, and so much more. Gold or store equals inflation killer. Living in a community with an HOA can be extremely beneficial to all the residents of that HOA. But at times, the HOA Volunteer Board needs a little help and guidance. That's when you should consider CAM, Community Association Management, an HOA living company. CAM has become Southern Utah's premier HOA management company by guiding and assisting volunteer boards to protect the association's interests, enhance the lives of community members, and improve the property values of the community. For more information, go to camutah.com. That's C-A-M-Utah.com. Imagine Family Dentistry invites you to make an appointment with Dr. Holman and have an experience at the dentist that you've only imagined. Imagine being in charge of your dental experience and imagine not worrying about dental insurance billing. The year is winding down and the average U.S. family loses $2,000 a year in dental benefits. Imagine Family Dentistry would like to remind you to use your dental benefits before the end of the year. Imagine saving money every dental visit, even if you don't have dental insurance. Dr. Holman at Imagine Family Dentistry is the dentist that can take care of your dental needs with a commitment to your comfort. Dr. Holman will tell you what you need. You tell him what you want. No gimmicks, just straightforward communication. Imagine a dentist office where there's no pressure. Imagine the difference. That's what you get with Dr. Brett Holman at Imagine Family Dentistry. To make an appointment, call 435-656-1111. Imagine more at Imagine Family Dentistry. This is Kate Daly, and my show is brought to you by the Piano Gallery, located on the Bloomington exit, right by Bloomington Walmart. You can get a gorgeous piano for a great deal. Talk to John or Jamie. A piano makes a beautiful house a home. Best mattress, the best place to buy Tempur-Pedic. Save up to $1,500 on Serta, Beautyrest, and Sherwood. Free delivery and setup with the best mattress, 120-day satisfaction guarantee. Why shop anywhere else? This show is previously recorded. They're open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show.
song. Uh, I'll take your calls. 888-673-1450. 888-673-1450. Uh, sometimes it's good, I think, uh, to think about these things as we're going into Christmas. Um, this is the only time of year that we can do this. And um, and so I always felt like it was important on this show, too, to kind of dial into perspective and, and also to... Um, what's important, <laughs> you know, sometimes it can, you know, I was reading the headlines and it was, um, uh, just nonsense and then nonsense and then nonsense. And, and, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders arguing over, uh, won't, won't attend the, the debate arguing over labor dispute. I'm going, yeah. And it was just, it struck me as funny because I thought labor dispute, neither one of them have ever really worked. They've only, they've only been fed off government. And I, I just thought, interesting, you know, so I like to kind of turn to some of the things that we kind of maybe take for granted a little bit that we don't ever think about. But if you'd like to call in on, on uh, what I just spoke about, you're more than welcome to 888-673-1450. Uh, it's totally fine. Um, so let me uh, let me give you this. This was uh, this was interesting because uh, it was a couple of years ago, and I remember a, there was a gentleman, and I I was reading an article where the gentleman said he had served in the Salvation Army, and I, I it struck me for some reason, and I I remember thinking served. That's a, that's an interesting way to put it. Served in the in the Salvation Army because we think of it as a charity, we don't necessarily think of it as a uh, as a uh, uh, the the Salvation Army. And so I've thought that that was kind of intriguing. And uh, I've always looked at those bell ringers, you know, the volunteers with the kettles and never really looked as it as an army to serve in like we think of as an as a as an armed forces, you know. And so most people take the Salvation Army, I think, at face value, like I did for so many years. They're busy, they're shopping and they just see the kettle every year. Right. Don't really think about it. But William Booth, he was actually born in Nottingham at the turn of the 19th century and only about 50 years after our country had officially become a country. And he was born in England um, to Samuel and Mary. His his dad was an entrepreneur and a builder at the time, but uh, he died when William was only 13 years old. So the family finances were in ruin and he needed to support his mother and his sisters somehow and carried that burden. And so he started down the path of a, of a religious career. He felt like the church of England was too formal and unfriendly. And he began looking into being a Methodist. And then he was really inspired by James Kai, the, the Kai, the fiery American preacher prone to theatrics who traveled around England at the time. So William felt like God was calling him to do a great work. And uh, he was ill quite a lot, but began preaching religion on the back streets of Nottingham. And so at the time, um, Wesleyan, um, uh, you know, Methodists prevailed and also uh, called a lot of disputes between the sects of the Methodist religion. So to understand William, you have to understand John Wesley, the founder of that. Um, and he believed in a threefold grace, uh, permanent grace, uh, prevenient grace as, as God's active presence in our lives. This presence is not dependent on human actions or human response. It's a gift, right? And so, um, so it goes on and, uh, and, and, and he really was really about, uh, salvation. Salvation is not a static one-time event in our lives. It is the ongoing experience of, you know, transforming us into whom God intends us to be. And so this was, he was really inspired by John Wesley 
and uh, and by that sort of uh, sanctification, if you will. So this is what he preached, and, and he was very instinctive about it instead of intellectual about it. So he avoided the regular, you know, the theological debate, and he was a pretty precocious teenager at that. But he meets his wife, Catherine, whom he married in 1855 and had joined the temperance movement 10 years before meeting Booth, and they both had a devotion to religion. Um, William showed passion, but not a lot of direction. And Catherine was more of the direction. She was kind of this great source of guidance to him, um, but warned him about the evils of ambition. She was quite worried about that. And they had a very equal relationship, partnership in marriage. And, and he was, uh, this was, you know, unlikely in those days, I'd say. Um, but still like more likely, I think, than people want to give it credit for. Um, but she was considered a heretic. She believed women should preach in church, and William supported that view. And she had eight children with William. So he had such a different style of preaching. It was flamboyant, more hellfire, damnation, you know, with hymns to popular tunes and contemporary songs. And he thought it would appeal to the ignorant masses that did not go to church. He thought he could get them into church. So he was heavily criticized for this. And the older uh, middle-aged were quite offended uh, by his new profound, uh, you know, way of doing things. But he didn't even care. He wanted to reach those that could not have attended uh, church, and, and he wanted to make sure that those people felt welcome. welcome. And he wanted those that produced and drank alcohol, um, uh, you know, um, to be banned from coming. He uh, he left the church that, that he preached at. Catherine soon joined him, and uh, and the audiences acted half horrified at <laughs> what they were doing in this new, different kind of way. So the Booths learned a valuable lesson as they were roaming the country for the next couple of years. And one was that the poor were likely to visit or, or likely to listen to their own kind. And who could resist, uh, you know, uh, these addresses by uh, horse racers and, and so forth, because he let, you know, kind of anybody, uh, you know, join him. And so uh, Booth recruited all these unlikely helpers and, na- and he named it the Hallelujah Band. And Catherine's eyes in particular were being further sort of opened, um, you know, caused by, you know, to the social wreckage that was going on from all the drinking and the prostitution and everything like that. So a group of missionaries impressed by William's preaching in all of these sort of seedy streets in London asked him to lead a series of meetings for them in a large tent at a place called Mile End. And William was so struck by the amount of work that had to be done by the local poor that the Booths agreed to stay. And despite never attend, intending to kind of, you know, found their own church, they just, they set up the, the uh, what was it called, the East London Christian Mission. And that was going to be renamed as the Christian Mission um, to reflect more of a nationwide potential because he still kind of had his eyes maybe on even growing it at that point. So William preached in, uh, in unusual venues from a stable to a pub while Catherine raised funds among the city's well-to-do. She appealed to them a little bit more than William and William would, uh, go where no one else would go, right? The uneducated, uh, the non-Christian, you know, wherever he could get a crowd that would most likely not be going into a church. And so he reasoned that no one could concentrate on that message with, with on an empty stomach. So soup kitchens and what was called food for the million shops were created uh, to help provide the poor with sustenance. And then these mission meetings 
you know, pretty much disrupted all the time by jeering and stone throwing and fireworks and all the rest. William and his people just merely sort of turned the other cheek and just kept going. And in fact, persecution became tantamount to the sort of badge of honor. It, it took a special kind of person to deal with such this, you know, kind of hostility. So how did it get its famous name, the Salvation Army? Well, the name change was a result of a family joke by the Booth's eldest son named Bramwell. All of the Booth's siblings had been immersed in religion and strict discipline from birth, and Bramwell was now this sort of industrious second-in-command to William at the new church. He was helping his dad. And on hearing them uh, called a volunteer army, he thought he thought it a rather understated description for the workers. And so William replaced the offending word with salvation. So it became the a Christian mission, became the Salvation Army in 1878. And from that moment, the movement really took off the concept of an army albeit peaceful, captured the imagination of all the sections of this Victorian society, um, publicizing a, a Whitby campaign, screaming, we are rushing into war, it is a field of blood already, and a public ham uh, a public ham sandwich tea will be provided in the Congress Hall. And so, um, uh, you know, but but war it was. Ranks were adopted in the Army. And William, and he mo- really modeled it after the Army, with William as general. And the uniforms were designed so that members could immediately recognize each other. So for women, the unflattering hallelujah bonnet, <laughs> that served as the double function of, the, of separating wares from worldly fashions and protecting them from... Uh, from missiles and he found that the brass bands were great for attracting crowds and so as as army corps uh, progressed through the streets they also helped drown out the hecklers so in 1884 there were 910 um, corps church centers and over 2,000 officers in Britain in this Salvation Army and it's non-use of the sacraments and it's proscription of alcohol that the Salvation Army um, differed from the Church of England which kept sort of this huge distance between the two but it was becoming part of British life and so at first uh, William Booth resisted the idea that the army could spread internationally but then it sort of appealed to him a little bit more later on and uh, then in October 1890 Army mother Catherine Booth died after uh, she got cancer. So her funeral was in London, attended by 36,000 people. Um, A mark of not only respect uh, was held, but also the strength of the army. So William and his whole organization obviously missed Catherine because she was sort of the guiding presence there. But it certainly uh, contains his ideas on practical Christianity, you know, if you will, just sort of uh, kind of inventing this this new way of doing things. And then um, they were really trying to shine a light on on poverty. And he believed uh, that that hampered people's path to salvation. And so uh, William described the ways in which the army could reduce those hurdles, and it included the establishment of city colonies, farm colonies, and overseas colonies as places of kind of like a rehab, rehabilitation, shelters for the destitute, lost persons bureau, um, a prison reform like rehabilitating for ex-prisoners. So the army already ran a home uh, for discharged felons at King's Cross, but many Victorians kind of held the view that the poor only had themselves to blame for their plight and sin, and reactions were sort of mixed about this at the time, too. 
So in the last years of his life, he turned again to preach. He met the world's wealthy and powerful, right? Hobnobbed with everybody. And then in uh, from 1904, despite really failing health, he embarked on a ser- series of uh, annual motor tours um, of the UK, covering thousands of miles and speaking at hundreds of meetings. And uh, yeah, and he uh, he died in, uh, or he was promoted uh, to glory, if you want to, if you want to put it that died in, in 1912, and 150,000 mourners uh, came 150,000, um, um, were lining the streets too, as it was, as he was driven through the streets. Um, so the Salvation Army became the fifth largest charity in the UK. And as of 2005, it's outreach is 109 countries, 175 languages. And the Salvation Army's membership consists of 3,500 officers, 60,000 employees, 113,000 soldiers, 430,000 or more adherents, and more than uh, 3.5 million volunteers. There you have it. I know. Kind of crazy, huh? Uh, it became, it just became huge, you know, so in, you know, his life was was interesting to me where he came from what his goals were what they were trying to do um but when you look at those kettles i hope you remembered this as part of the story because that part is not really told and and it it took a long i never i had never realized or really ever had thought about army um but i thought that that was kind of interesting in the way that it developed as the salvation army uh be right back on the kate daly show and i'll take your calls too you're welcome to call in you can call in about anything it's fine 888-673-1450 be right back lines are open now call 888-673-1450 this is the kate daly show hello my name is kevin mangled i'm the director over preferred customer service and health coach scheduling at balance of nature my department is hiring for phone agents and for live chat agents working in scheduling and customer service is satisfying and rewarding because we help so many people see success every day i'm looking for people that want to make a difference in people's lives if you enjoy helping people achieve success come join our team go to balance careers to apply for customer service phone agent or customer care live chat support today. Hi, my name is Rodney, and I am the director of new sales at Balance of Nature. My department is hiring new sales agents and online chat agents. Working in the new sales department is fast-paced and rewarding because of our competitive camaraderie and the fact that we are the first people our customers meet. I'm looking for hard-working, dedicated people to come join my team. Go to balanceofnature.com slash careers to apply for the new sales phone agent or new sales chat agent positions today. Thanks for listening to the Kate Daly Show. All opinions expressed by the program participants on the Kate Daly Show are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of St. George News Radio, KZNU, Canyon Media, or their respective parent companies or advertisers. If you'd like to comment directly, talk lines are open at 888-673-1450. That's 888-673-1450. Or you may email directly at kate at canyonmedia.net. I bet you didn't know by calling a certified service pro from Walker Plumbing, Heating, and Air right now will save you money and time. Let's face it, being prepared for the cold weather sooner than later will save you troubles in the long run. Now is the time to get your furnace check done and other appliances. Call the five-star rated Best of Southern Utah Gold winner in Plumbing, Heating, and Air today. When you call, be sure to ask for the furnace checkup special. This is Brett, the owner of Walker Plumbing, Heating, and Air. We have the plumbing and air conditioning team you can trust guaranteed. Visit MyStGeorgePlumber.com. 
Okay, sweetie, what other things shine besides the sun? Mrs. Danielson's car. Wait, no, I, I mean sparkles, like a diamond, or the tinsel on a Christmas tree, like really shines. Mrs. Danielson's car. No, sweetie, I'm talking shiny. No, Daddy, look, Mrs. Danielson's car. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. When you get an unlimited wash membership at Quick Quack, everyone notices. Get your shine on at DontDriveDirty.com. Seven months after the apocalypse. Mom, what's with the chemistry set? Well, I didn't get enough food storage, so I'm converting my fuel back into corn. And this green, gooey stuff you made tastes like corn? <laughs> no, tastes just like gas. We got our food storage from Shane at Your Family Still Matters. And he set us up right. You want to come over for dinner? Oh, no. Too much yellow number five. Ah! Don't eat green, gas-flavored, gooey stuff. Go to Your Family Still Matters at 900 South Bluff in the Holiday Square under the big yellow sign that says paintball, food storage, and violins. The upkeep of your home and community is essential, not only for retaining property value, but also for security and peace of mind. Max Maintenance, an HOA living company, is Southern Utah's maintenance pros, providing a wide array of services and resources, even in the event of damage or emergency. Max Maintenance team members are experts in assessing damage, understanding the claims process, and managing and completing the construction and restoration of your home and community. Max Maintenance can help. Contact them at 435-534-6291 or maxutah.com. The 20. 2021 Best of Southern Utah results are in. And the winner is Prolong Medical Center. Gold medal winner in the category of men's health. Gentlemen, are you having trouble with intimacy in your relationship? Have you tried other companies' erectile dysfunction treatments and were just uncomfortable with a lack of a customized treatment plan? It's time to call Prolong Medical Center in St. George, where they will create a customized treatment plan with advanced acoustic waves to help restore natural and long-lasting results. If you've tried other companies and felt like just another number, it's time for you to call Prolong Medical Center and find out why they were voted gold medal in men's health for Best of Southern Utah. Call today for a no-obligation appointment and get your customized treatment plan designed to promote a healthy blood flow. And over the course of six sessions, you can experience unprecedented long-term results. Call Prolong Medical Center at 435-375-5000 or ProlongMedical.com. The Kate Daly Show is brought to you by Your Family Still Matters, St. George, Utah's food storage and emergency supply store. I'm Deidre Hall with a message about your eye health. My mother had age-related macular degeneration or a AMD, which means my family members are at greater risk. I'm Dr. Sada of Duhini UCLA. AMD is the most common cause of severe irreversible vision loss in older adults. If a healthcare professional suspects AMD, a retina specialist can confirm the diagnosis and work with you on a treatment plan. Routine eye care can help maintain your vision. Visit GetEyeSmart.org for more information. having a good one um hope this weekend is fun for you i'm sure you probably have holiday plans i would imagine (laughs) so uh welcome back of course phone lines are open if you'd like to call in uh, about anything i've talked about actually um history always intrigues me and uh and i think there's always such a great story behind all the different songs that we sing each christmas um you know i've done shows about uh the history of christmas tree and i mean you name it i've probably done it on this show through the years i did a lot for the blaze um when I was on the blaze to um, just just uh, from edict of Torah to uh, you name it. I mean, we probably run the gamut. Um, 
but you know, there always there's always things that stick with me too. Always things that uh, that I'd like to share and with you. And of course, eight 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 six seven three fourteen fifty. Um, if you'd like to call up, that's totally fine. And I know calls were coming in, but usually ca- kind of close to a break, and so that's usually why I don't uh, take them right off the bat. But um, we're open, so you can you can call in. Um, or I should say I am. Anyway, um, I wanted to play uh, this for you. I thought that this was, uh, it was a touching story because I, I think that it really kind of, it, it touches upon something kind of fascinating and at the same time sad, but what a, what a, what a great thing. And so, you know what? All right, I'll take a call really quick and then I'll play it for you. Hi, caller. Welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Hello, I have the greatest holiday song that no one ever played. Really? Everybody loves the Monster Mash. Uh That same year, 1959, uh, Bobby Boris Pickett did a holiday song. It's called Monster's Holiday. (laughs) I believe it also got to number one. But I've never heard anyone ever play it, and it's totally hilarious. Okay, well, I'll check it out. Thank Halloween you. Halloween Christmas action. Uh, you uh, will love interesting. It. Okay, thank you thanks. very much for always playing such great songs all the time, Aww, all year long. Thank you. Thank you. You're great. Yeah, yeah you I really it. hope you all have a terrific Christmas. Thank you. You do appreciate it. Thank you. That was really sweet. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I really do. All right, let me let me play this for you. This is a it's kind of a sad story, but it was uh, it was touching. It was really touching. Here you go. This is uh, Jason Schmidt. So, my parents split up when I was two. My uh, mom went to California by herself. I stayed in Eugene, Oregon, with my dad. My mom wanted to be an artist. My dad wanted to be a parent, but he was a young guy. He was 22 when I was born, and he was a junkie and a dealer, and stuff was just always going wrong. When I was three, he got busted in our living room right in front of me for dealing coke. And then when I was four, our housemate accidentally burned our house down. And it was just always one thing or another like that. But Dad had this trick that he could do. You know, the bad thing would happen and we'd be sitting next to the road with all of our worldly possessions, and he'd say, sit tight, kid. I'll be right back. And then he would leave and come back. And when he came back, he would have a phone number or a used car or some friend who owed us a favor or 10 years on probation instead of 20 years in jail. It was like this magic trick he could do, and it was amazing. He was like a superhero to me. There was nothing my dad couldn't do, but it didn't mean that life was easy. You know, the economy in Oregon back then was really, really bad, and he couldn't work straight jobs because he had a felony conviction, and he couldn't deal because he was on probation. But then when I was seven, uh, they cut his probation short because of some kind of budget problem, and they were letting nonviolent offenders go early. And Dad had an idea where we were going to go. Uh, we had heard that there were jobs uh, and good schools and uh, cheap housing, if you can imagine such a thing, in Seattle. <laughs> it was the 70s. So uh, we put all our stuff in storage, and we got in Dad's crappy yellow Vega, and he had just enough cash in his pocket for food, gas, and we were hoping first, last, and deposit on uh, a place here in Seattle. 
So the, the only thing was we were, we were going to do one thing before we left. We were going to go camping for a little while because uh, just outside Eugene, there's this little piece of heaven. It's the Fall Creek Watershed, and it's just it's gorgeous. And we'd had a lot of good times out there with our friends, and we wanted to say goodbye to it before we left. So we got in Dad's car with a little bit of cash and some blankets, and our stuff was in storage. We went to Fall Creek. And we got a great camping spot right next to the river, got out, had a campfire, roasted some marshmallows and told some stories, got in the car and went to sleep. And in the middle of that night, our first night camping, my dad wakes up because he's hot. And he can't figure out why he's hot. That's his first question when he goes, why am I hot? And he can't figure out why. And then he realizes it's me. I'm generating a tremendous amount of heat. I was hot to the touch. He actually like couldn't leave his hand on my forehead. So he wakes me up, and I'm kind of lucid, and I, I, I seem functioning, and, and it's dark, it's the middle of the night, he doesn't know what to do, but I seemed okay, so we went back to sleep. And in the morning, every little nick and cut on my body, you know, like little kids get, was red and swollen. And there was one on my arm, and he, he just touched it, and it just burst open, and blood and pus started running down my arm. And he said later that the thing that was most terrifying about that moment was that I didn't react to it. I was seven, and I was just looking at it like it was happening to somebody else. So he got in the front of the car, and we drove to town uh, to our family practitioner, Dr. Barry Hill. And Dad and I sat in the exam room, and he gave me Tylenol to lower my fever and antibiotics, and he said that... uh, he said that what I had was a flesh-eating staph infection over most of my body. And he prescribed us this special soap that was supposed to take care of the staph infection. And he said that my dad would have to monitor my temperature. If it got above 104, he should take me to the emergency room immediately and that I should get plenty of fluids and a lot of sleep. And it, it wasn't said, but it was strongly implied that what we shouldn't do was go live in the woods <laughs> and, and bathe in the stream with all the living things that have you know, their poop and their own bacteria. So we went out in the lobby, and uh, Dad went to the pharmacy, and he used our house money to get the soap and, uh, and a handful of change, and he came back. And uh, I sat there next to a, a, phone, a phone booth in the, in the lobby, and he, he made calls. He called everybody we knew. And nobody could take us because they had kids, and they couldn't risk them getting infected. Or they had roommates, or they were dealing, and they didn't want a kid in the house. And so I was sitting there, and I was watching my dad making phone calls. And he wasn't yelling and he wasn't begging, but he was getting scared. And I'd never really seen that before in all of his previous magic tricks. And I started, I had this moment, this seven-year-old epiphany where I was thinking about all the other times that stuff like this had happened And I was thinking about it sort of from his perspective, and I started to realize that to him, each of these near misses just points on a trajectory leading to this moment where we had been sliding downhill for a couple of years 
That's what it would have looked like to him. I just hadn't noticed because I was a kid. So he runs out of change, and we go back out and get in the car. And he sits there with his hands on the steering wheel, and I'm still hoping I'm wrong. So I look at him, and I go, where are we going, Dad? And he goes, just be quiet for a minute. And then he starts the car, and we go back out to the woods. And it wasn't the end of things like it had looked like. The soap worked, and he checked my temperature, and it went down, uh, and we spent a while out in the woods. And it was kind of fun. It was almost what we'd intended to do, except that we weren't camping anymore. We were homeless. And we stayed there longer than we needed to. And at some point, I did that thing again where I tried to imagine it from his perspective. And I started to understand that he was avoiding the reality that we didn't have any money for a house when we got to Seattle. But eventually, we just had to go. So we got to Seattle in Dad's crappy Yellow Vega with $20 and no place to stay. And... That worked out eventually. That worked out. We had other houses, and we had other near misses. But the way that I saw my dad had really changed forever. He wasn't a superhero or a magician to me anymore. He was just a man who did his best. Thank you. That was Jason uh, Schmidt and uh, that story. And, you know, sometimes I think parents need to be need to be told, you know, do your best, do your best. But but don't uh, uh, don't be so hard on yourself. (laughs) Sometimes we can get really hard on ourselves uh, for not being as perfect as we'd like to be. But I loved that story just because it it really does kind of ring uh, that that message bell that says, you know what? It's fine. You know what I mean? You, you do what you can do and do what you could do for your kids. Uh, this is one more Christmas 1949. I love this. Here we go. A light drizzle was falling as my sister Jill and I ran out of the Methodist church, eager to get home and play with the presents that Santa had left for us and our baby sister, Sharon. Across the street from the church was a Pan American gas station where the Greyhound bus stopped. It was closed for Christmas, but I noticed a family standing outside the locked door huddled under the narrow overhang in an attempt to keep dry. I wondered briefly why they were there, but then forgot about them as I raced to keep up with Jill. Once we got home, there was barely time to enjoy our presents. We had to go off to our grandparents' house for our annual Christmas dinner. As we drove down the highway through town, I noticed that the family was still there, standing outside the closed gas station. My father was driving very slowly down the highway. The closer we got to the turnoff from my grandparents' house, the slower the car went. Suddenly, my father U-turned in the middle of the road and said, I can't stand it. What? asked my mother. It's those people back there at the Pan Am standing in the rain. They've got children. It's Christmas. I can't stand it. When my father pulled into the service station, I saw that there were five of them, the parents and three children, two girls and a small boy. My father rolled down his window. Merry Christmas, he said. Howdy, the man replied. He was very tall and had to stoop slightly to peer into the car. Jill, Sharon, and I stared at the children, and they stared back at us. You waiting on the bus, my father asked. The man said that they were. 
They were going to Birmingham, where he had a brother and prospects of a job. Well, that bus isn't going to come along for several hours, and you're getting wet standing there. Windborne's just a couple miles up the road. They've got a shed with a cover there and some benches, my father said. Why don't you all get in the car, and I'll run you up there. The man thought for a moment, and then he beckoned to his family. They climbed into the car. They had no luggage, only the clothes they were wearing. Once they were settled in, my father looked back over his shoulder and asked the children if Santa had found them yet. Three glum faces mutely gave him the answer. Well, I didn't think so, my father said, winking at my mother, because when I saw Santa this morning, he told me he was having trouble finding y'all, and he asked me if he could leave your toys at my house. We'll just go get them before I take you to the bus stop. All at once, the three children's faces lit up, and they began to bounce around in the back seat, laughing and chattering. When we got out of the car at our house, the three children ran through the front door and straight to the toys that were spread out under our Christmas tree. One of the girls spied Jill's doll and immediately hugged it to her breast. I remember that the little boy grabbed Sharon's ball, and the other girl picked up something of mine. All this happened a long time ago, but the memory of it remains clear. This was the Christmas when my sisters and I learned the joy of making others happy. My mother noticed that the middle child was wearing a short-sleeved dress, so she gave the girl Jill's only sweater to wear. My father invited them to join us at our grandparents' for Christmas dinner, but the parents refused. Even when we all tried to talk them into coming, they were firm in their decision. Back in the car on the way to Winborn, my father asked the man if he had money for bus fare. His brother had sent tickets, the man said. My father reached into his pocket and pulled out two dollars, which was all he had left until his next payday. He pressed the money into the man's hand. The man tried to give it back, but my father insisted. It'll be late when you get to Birmingham, and these children will be hungry before then. Take it. I've been broke before, and I know what it's like when you can't feed your family. We left them there at the bus stop in Winborn. As we drove away, I watched out the window as long as I could, looking back at the little girl hugging her new doll. Christmas 1949. Isn't that great? Be right back on the Kate Daly Show. Imagine family dentistry.